Hello there and welcome to the podcast. It's John Markar here and I thought I'd just jump in with a very quick but very important message that I wanted to share with you before you delve into this episode of the Driven Chat podcast. This podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now come to an end. But don't worry, I'm not going to stop you from listening to this episode or from catching up with the 185 episodes that we've recorded in this format. I just wanted to let you know that if you're looking for our new episodes recorded after December 2023, then you'll need to seek out our new podcast, The Driven Podcast. You can find The Driven Podcast in all the usual podcast platforms, including, chances are, the one that you're listening to this one on right now. So please do enjoy this episode, share it with a friend by all means. But when it's done, don't forget to search for the new podcast, The Driven Podcast, and subscribe to the new format to hear the new stuff. To make life easy, head on over to the Driven website via driven.site. There you will find links through to the new podcast, including links to your preferred podcast platform. And hey, whilst you're there, why not check out everything else we do, including hand-picked automotive news stories, car and bike reviews, video features, and even more. For now, though, I'll let you enjoy this episode. And I will remind you again at the end of the episode, but for the future reference, this message is approximately 1 minute and 30 seconds long. That's six clicks on the 15-second skip button. Enjoy. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Nicky Faulkner. I am a professional precision driver and stunt driver for Film and TV. And I'm probably someone that you would have seen or watched on TV or films, but wouldn't have no idea who I am. The Driven Chat Podcast, powered by Paramex Digital. Hello there and welcome to this week's Driven Chat Podcast. My name is John Marker and as you've just heard there this week, we are being joined by Nikki Faulkner. But not just Nikki Faulkner, because I'm joined once more by the ever-popular, ever-growingly more popular, Miles Lacey. Wow, what an intro. I was trying to go for like a compliment, but don't want to be too nice, you know. Well, as I keep saying, as soon as Amy Shaw's diary starts opening up... <laughs> Luckily, she's on honeymoon. Oh, thank God. She's gone for a couple of weeks. That's me in for a couple more weeks. <laughs> yeah. Thank God for that. It's the only way you're going to get on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's how we like to operate. Uh, it is. Shadows. It is. But no, in all seriousness, you are, you are joining us, have joined us on a more official capacity. We should... Maybe maybe we'll make a song and dance about it at some point, but um, you're in. Sorry, you're you're in now. You've this is your community service order. Got it. Um, and it's great because you get to bring lovely guests like Nikki Faulkner, who we've got this week. Welcome, Nikki. Hello. Nice to see you both. I know Miles quite well, and unfortunately, <laughs> I can't believe you've actually given him a job. I it's, mean... Do you know it's weird how many people say exactly what you've just said? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I do know Miles. We've known each other for quite some time, and then there's usually like a. Uh, I don't know why, you know, but it's always, always caveated with something. He's, he's the friend that comes along yeah. that nobody really knows, but he's quite funny, so you don't mind him being around. That's yeah. sweet. 
That's nice. That's the best I could hope for, really. <laughs> yeah. um, that's no, what I aim for. You are knowledgeable about cars, so that's a good thing. <laughs> that is a good thing. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, um, what I bring to the table, I'm glad you guys appreciate it. And said listener as well. Yes, yes. Thank you, dear listener. Um, and they seem to like you, so that's important. Follow me on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Right, so Nikki, thank you, uh, as a, thank you again for joining us, and thank you for making your way to our lovely little Coventry corner, which uh, is a, is a getting rare and rare as a luxury these days. Usually, we are carting ourselves off to record in the quiet corner of an office or a racing pit garage, or in recent times, Miles and I uh, even a Premier Inn hotel room. Yeah, I'm a long to say that. Yeah, John and I have spent far too much time in hotel rooms together. <laughs> It's true. Well, the true. only reason why I agreed to doing this is because I live in Warwick, which is only about 10 minutes down the road. So, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. I was like, oh, I can't no. really get out of this. Miles asked really nicely. Might as well. And yeah. I thought, it'll only turn up on my door if I don't come here. So, uh, <laughs> so that's what I'm here. Here you are. Um, so where do we start with you, Nikki? Because you have a, I, I can't even call it a career. You've got like eight, as far as I can work out, simultaneous careers in all different aspects and areas of motoring, motorsports, driving, film, television, what am I missing? I mean, there's, there's loads. How do you sum up what you do? Um, yeah, that's an interesting... Now you've said it like that, it makes it sound really bad, doesn't it? Because <laughs> it sounds like I don't know what I want to do. Um, I would say I've got a passion for cars. Um, I've always had a passion for cars from when I was a kid, uh, like any of us and the listeners, I'm sure, are the same. Um, and then I have a passion for film and TV. And I kind of started off... Uh, like any of us with that career of wanting to be a professional racing driver which I did and then I kind of ran out of money and ran out of sponsorship as most of us do and then ended up in this film and tv industry um but to describe exactly what I'm at is I've always had this passion to make some of the best car chases and the best car sequences Mm. that's possible so that's really what my driving force is um because you see a lot of stuff that's CGI. You see a lot of yeah. stuff that's kind of like unbelievable. And we always hark back to old movies like Le Mans or Grand Prix mm. in particular. And then you got Bullet and all those kind of things. Ronin is a very good example as well. So we always hark back to those things. And, and Baby Driver came out, obviously, mm. and that was revered. And I can pick up some flaws in that. We'll get to that later. <laughs> but Ooh. but there's other things like that. And and. Even before I worked on the movie called Rush, which is a Formula One biopic about Nicky Lauder and James Hunt, um, I had that drive to, to make car stuff better for car lovers. Mm-hmm. And I've been very lucky that I um, got into certain situations where I was in front of the right people at the right time, got the certain jobs, which we'll go through, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the thing that drove me on from there is like, why can we not make this awesome? Why can we not make car people love what they see on the screen but also introduce younger people and newer people to cars and loving them as well because i feel like we're in this world now where people are falling off falling in love with cars and driving anymore driving for most people now is a is an a to b thing it's Mm. it's a process and we're harming the environment by doing it but actually you and i love driving and, and that's so that's basically where i'm at yeah i love driving i want to make cool driving stuff and i want other people to love driving and love driving sequences it is brilliant i mean in a world where because we've all done this i can know the three of us sat here have definitely done this without question as has probably the vast majority of people listening to this podcast right now we've all sat and watched a television series or a film featuring a car chase or a car scene or even a period of time featuring cars and we've all gone um 
No, yeah. that's that's a nineteen. 19- 87 Sierra when this is set in 1983 <laughs> or we've looked at yeah car chases and looked at the way cars are being driven and thought that's not how that works you know there's there's no handbrake on a CX-75 Jaguar that enables it to go around a corner like that that's not how any of this works we've all done it so it is refreshing to know that there are people in the industry like yourself who are car people who will who will put their hand up and go no, that's not how this works. Or no, that car's not been built yet. And yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and I think it... I think it's dealing with that kind of world as well because we're because we're passionate about cars and we know about them. There's stuff that we think is really obvious. Mm. So you like you've just said. I mean, I, I watched a movie. Um, a, a dear friend of mine drove the car in that film as well, so I had to go at him about it. <laughs> but it was a McLaren 570, I think it was, and it was a manual. And it had oh, a gated manual. In I know. It. I know the film you're yeah. talking about. I mean, I yeah, and I was yeah. like, Fair "How enough. could? How could you ever do this? Yeah. <laughs> like, this <laughs> yeah. is sacrilege. Yeah. Like, you can't do that." No. And but it, obviously, to the director and the producers, they don't know that that car isn't made in a manual. Yeah. They probably spoke to and paid a lot of money for somebody to fake it to, yeah, yeah. to do it. God, I yeah. said, "Oh no, it's really cool when the guy you know changes gears and makes it look like it's going faster and stuff." And you're like, "No, but." Like that, that sounds... immediately turns me off yeah, yeah. from that. And I'm like, the whole rest of the film could be amazing. Mm-hmm. But if the car sequence in it has got any flaws like that in it, I'm immediately like, no, nah, no. Nah. Mm. If you can't be bothered to show the attention to detail, and I'm sure other people in other industries, you know, horse riders and yeah, and, and yeah. or people in equestrian, sorry, they, they will see a horse sequence and go, well, that would never happen. And sure. I'm sure it turns them off. Yes. So we're talking about a very niche market. But ninety percent of people that watch these films don't care. Yeah. But for me, and people of my ilk, like yourselves, who love cars and love driving, we don't want to see that. No. We want to see cool stuff. Yeah. We want to see stuff that like, we go. A level of, like you say, a level of authenticity that it levels it up in such a big way. I'm so glad you mentioned Ronin actually because yeah, that has a bit of a story behind it, doesn't it? Yeah. That yeah. there was an actor in it who actually was a bit of a racing driver as well. Yeah. So, um, it's it was a French driving team that were involved in it um and they had a left-hand drive oh sorry a right-hand drive car that had a dummy left-hand drive cockpit in it and wheel and they put de niro in that yeah and uh, they had the stunt driver in the driving seat and when you see if you actually watch it again carefully you see de niro's face when he's been driven around he is terrified (laughs) (laughs) because he sat with a dummy steering wheel out of control, basically, yeah. <laughs> being absolutely terrified. Um, so it's it's a so that that it's it runs in films like Taxi as well. I don't know if you've ever seen the Luke Besson version mm. of that. You know, there's some great driving sequences out there in lots of movies, but because the movies weren't mainstream, you know, like the Fast and Furious franchise and things like that, they're probably not as well known to some people. But car people know them. You know, I can walk into a room of, of any you know car nuts and you know you go to caffeine a machine down the road and mention a few car films and people will come out with french connection or mm-hmm. you know all those kind of movies but we keep going back to old ones you know you watch grand prix now and I, and I for the listener who's listening to this if you haven't watched grand prix in the last 10 years watch it again and you see what goes on in that and they've got the actors in the cars actually driving them mm. and they've got these movable cameras that pan with them and tilt when they go onto the banking it's incredible stuff mm-hmm. and even in 2023 which we're in now you look at that and you go, that's epic filming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you go, what have we learned yeah, since then? Yeah. Like it batteries and cameras and everything have got so much smaller and better and we can put cameras where we couldn't before. And, yeah. you know, they've got gimbals that work at high speed now and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Why have we not made it better? 
And that's what I think I have a responsibility to do. That's great. Yeah, love that. It is. You're right. It is so important because again, like you think you said the comparison there with you know horses. You, you can't imagine there being like a, a fashion or wardrobe department who get clothing wrong because that's such a, a you know, staple part of it. If you're looking at like a musical biopic about a band set in the 70s they're not going to suddenly have a brand new you know like 19 1990s puffer jacket on because everyone would just stamp their feet and go no that's wrong yeah but yet yeah as you say for cars it has it has failed slightly. or changing gear 18 times <laughs> yes, exactly. yeah like was it fast and furious 9 has got the longest runway in the world yeah. with about 16 gear changes that's in it, it. <laughs> didn't somebody possibly on reddit most likely on reddit took the time to work it out they'd managed to map it out if the car was going at that speed or the increasing speed with the length of the sequence the runway was something like 17 miles long <laughs> by the time they got to yeah, the end the location of it. scouts going <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but as you say it's a it's a producer or a or a production team going oh we did see a great scene once where somebody went through gears and it looked out it looked amazing and dynamic so let's do that in our spaceship because that's going to make sense isn't absolutely. it absolutely absolutely yeah it is a strange one now Again, I'm going to try and unpick your career and, and your timeline. Now, one of the questions I always like to ask people such as yourself is, is there a core memory as far back as you can go, perhaps your first ever memory in or around cars, that you think might have paved the way to get you where you are now? Well, <laughs> that's that's an interesting one because it's very long and diverse. But um, obviously my name's Nicky. Mm-hmm. I'm named after Nicky Lauder. Mm-hmm. Um, so my dad was a Formula One fan, um, and he plunked me in front of the Grand Prix as a kid, and it was our Sunday thing, father and son yeah. thing to do. So he plunked me in front of the TV with him, and we watched Murray Walker screaming out, <laughs> you know, Alan Prostnet and Senna's names. Um, so I had a passion for it from the start. Apparently, when I was five years old, I was asked by my school to um, do the flag colours of the nations mm-hmm. and instead of the flag colours of the nations I did the flag colours of the track so I did ah. the yellow flag the red flag the black flag and I put down their meanings and everything yes. and my dad still has that in his loft because you know what Brilliant. parents are like you know yeah. stick it to the fridge forever um so that's probably my earliest memory of being into cars and I'd always study it study what the drivers were doing you know the racing lines and things like that and then obviously like any racing driver you start karting when you're young and doing all that stuff but the the thing that really got me going was uh, and i've been to a few grand prix with my dad is when a child ticket was a pound can you wow, believe that really? we went to the british grand prix at silverstone and my ticket was a pound <laughs> showing your age now <laughs> yeah <laughs> i just realized what i've just done yeah. but at least it wasn't a shilling <laughs> So what was that, 1965? No, come on, I'm not that old. So, so yeah, so so I went to all of those and you you got that rumble in your stomach when those things went by, you know, great times. But what really tipped me over the edge was 1988. I I was 10, so there you go. Well, actually 11. Um, 1988, went to Le Mans, uh, first ever Le Mans with my dad and a few of his friends. We went camping, um, stayed at the track and seeing those... Group C cars, mm. and it was the Silk Cut Jaguar, mm. which I absolutely love. I know you've spoken to Mike Fernie. I think it's his favourite car. Yeah, well. that's right, yeah. Um, I know Martin Brundle as well. He's got one, <laughs> which I also want to drive. Has he got one? Uh, yeah, he oh, did. Wow. Have, well, because he raced it. It was course, his car. Yeah. Was, um, so, and I've met the drivers since then as well, which I love. But I remember standing there with my dad at the Dunlop Bridge on the first lap, and they, they came round behind the safety car as their warm-up lap, and they were just purring along. And I've been to a Formula One race before, so I was just like, well, this isn't great. Mm. And my dad said, just you wait for the first lap. 
and the first lap, the noise, the cacophony of noise, mm-hmm. the crowd going wild, mm-hmm. and just the whole atmosphere and experience. I mean, loads of boozed up Brits, obviously, <laughs> but it was just earth shattering to me. It was just the most incredible thing you've ever seen in your life. And it was that for 24 hours. Yeah. I slept for three hours and I, I started crying <laughs> when I woke up because I'd missed three hours of the race. No, I was so upset no. with myself because yeah, I wow. wanted to watch it all. Yeah. And that was probably the biggest driver in the end. Like I had a passion for it. I had a love, but you go from being a fan mm. to being, I need to be in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that was my tipping point. I think. And do you think it was, was it Le Mans more than say that the idea of Formula One? Cause I always find this interesting. It's talking to drivers who have had a, a, t- a goal or a target. You know, that's the series I want to go to. And I think many people, perhaps non motorsport, non motoring people will just assume that the one that everyone wants to do is F1 sure. and that's it. Yeah. You know, that's the, that's the pinnacle. That's what I want. And anything less than Formula One isn't as good, which of course is nonsense because there are so many different disciplines now. Mm. But for you, was it Le Mans? Was that the one that um, you thought that's what I want to be doing? It, it is. And that still is. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think again, the listener won't be able to see, but I'm, I'm tall. I'm six foot two. Mm. So, uh, when I was karting, I had to stop when I was 11 anyway because I was too tall for the chassis, really, to right. be competitive anymore. Um, and then when I switched to driving cars when I was 16, because you, you could get racing a car when you're 16 then, uh, and then subsequently those sort of later years, I went down a saloon car route mm. because people were going, well, you'll never get to race in Formula 1. Mm-hmm. You're too tall. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, Formula 1 drivers, and you've spoken to Martin Donnelly, I know, you know, they're, they're all about five foot six, aren't yeah. they? I mean, they're yeah. all tiny. Well, he's a bit shorter now. Yeah, well, yeah, just a <laughs> fraction. <you know? laughs> um, so, you know, they, you, you had no chance. I wouldn't have even fitted in a Formula 1 car in those mm. days. Yeah. Um, now, people like Justin Wilson, who uh, was a very good friend of mine, and Mark Webber, and things changed that. Um, but obviously in the 90s, when mm. I was in the late 90s, I'd like to point out, um, <laughs> when I was going into that area, there was no chance of getting in a Formula 1 car. So people pushed the touring car route. And again, in those days, you know, those guys were earning decent money. The manufacturers, nine manufacturers in it. So I'm talking about 95, 96, 97, so on. You know, it was a, it was a good career path. Mm-hmm. You were just like, well, okay, you know, I can earn decent can money. Living. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Steve Soper was was one of my heroes at the time. Fantastic, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I, he always seemed to get punted off on the first lap and come from the back and then win. <laughs> you know, and the Schnitzer BMWs and yeah. all those kind of things. And then the Alpha Romans came in and ruined everything. And you know, all those kind of things. It, it was a really great time. And and in '95, I was in the support package for the touring cars in the Rene Clio Cup which was basically banger racing. Um, and, and so I, I set myself on that path. I was like, I'm going to be a touring car driver. That's where I want to be. And then eventually, hopefully, I'll get into Le Mans. And then you actually realise that Le Mans cars are being driven by failed single-seater drivers. Mm. I mean, I say failed in the, the deepest of respect. Sure. Most people fail yeah, yeah. <laughs> trying to get to Formula 1 yeah. uh, because it requires so much luck and so much money. And... Um, so I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm probably not going to get to race at Le Mans. I didn't get to race touring cars either. <laughs> but I, I was very lucky I got the opportunity to drive a single-seater. Um, and I'd never driven one before, and it, I got put straight into qualifying. I didn't have any practice or anything else like that. And it was just because this this guy had paid for this seat, and he couldn't do it. And he said, look, you know, do you want to drive it and have a go? And I was like, yeah, why not? <laughs> so I jumped into this car, and I'd never driven one before. And it was the last race of the season for these guys. And I stuck the thing on pole. 
And I went, this thing is amazing. <laughs> I was like, it does everything I want it to do. Rather than the saloon car where you're fighting the thing the yeah, whole time. It actually got... goes where I point it. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It breaks and stops. Like, And some corners are flat, yeah. you know, where you normally break. Yeah, yeah. So downforce and everything. And I just thought it was amazing. And then I had a reasonably successful single-seater career. And I thought, right, this is... This is where I'm going to go. And that then took me into GT racing. And I actually got to race a GT2 car, which are now non-existent. But, um, what car was that? That was a 430 GT2. Nice. Oh, wow, yeah. Bit of a monster. It was a weapon, that yeah. thing. Yeah. I mean, it was. I'd, I'd raced the, three, the GT3 the year before, and then I went into the GT2. And the change was phenomenal. And it was a brute. It was sequential gearbox, mm. which was the most awkward thing in the world. The team said to me, sorry, I'm waffling on. No, but the, no, team, go, go. the team said to me when I first got in the car, the Italian team, and they said, I'm not going to do an Italian accent because I'm terrible <laughs> no. at accents. No, I am. I'm awful. <laughs> so they said, when you get in the car, don't worry, you're going to stall it. And and I was like, don't worry, mate, you're going to stall it. <laughs> <laughs> he was from Modena. <laughs> Modena on time. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, you know, you're going to stall it. And I was like, no, no, you know, whatever. Yeah, I'm not going to stall this thing. I'm, I'm driven... a professional racing Exactly driver. that. Yeah. But you have to have that arrogance. If you haven't yeah. got that arrogance, you're not doing the right thing. So I was like, yeah, whatever. Got in the thing, fired it up, and of course, like a complete knob. <laughs> and he's on the radio and he's like don't worry don't worry just go again and i was like okay dunk, stalled it again mm -hmm. I'm like, anyway eventually got the thing it was the most terrifying car in the pit lane because you, if you're in the garage for instance and you're on new tires and you know what the new tires are like so if you watch formula one regularly you see them go on new tires they've got that sheen on the tires yeah, where yes. they come out of the mold that's like ice yeah it really is it's horrible isn't it you yeah. turn the wheel nothing happens yeah so you imagine that you're in the pit garage pointing at the inside of the pit wall mm. now the only way to get this thing to pull away without stalling is full throttle mm -hmm. and dump the clutch mm -hmm. so this is three pedal sequential and then once you once yeah. your clutch is released to pull away you don't need to just clicking back yeah. exactly yeah it's a flat shift so you've still got that horrible biting point absolutely but you just got to let it Rip, right <laughs> so what you then do is you rely on the pit lane speed limiter to act like traction control yes so that stops the wheel spin as much which is great it's fine because it means that you're not heading to the inside of the pit wall at 100 mile an hour it's like 50 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is fine <laughs> well it's fine if the front wheels have got any traction yeah because they've just come out of the mould and you're turning the wheel and nothing's happening. It's the most terrifying part of driving that car. Out on the track at 170 miles an hour, yeah, no that's problem. that's the easy bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting out of the pit lane was frightening. So anyway, I eventually got this thing out and got, got going in it. And I can honestly say it was just such a fight to drive that car quickly mm -hmm. because it had aero. It had proper aero on it. You know, you could change the ride height by like half a mil and it would make a second difference. Wow. You know, and it was just a brute the whole time. And um, yeah, it was probably my one of my best racing experiences because I was one step closer to driving at Le Mans. Yeah, but it was literally terrifying yeah. most of the time, and I'm not afraid to admit it. Like it's well, no, because you you know I, I was literally at the first round of British GT last weekend, mm -hmm. and a modern GT3 car is by that standard extremely easy to drive, right? Oh, yeah, I've driven one. I mean, they're they're like a you know, they're designed for gentleman drivers, of shall course. we say. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But so you can always get within maybe a second of the fast time. Yeah. And then finding that last that's few tenths, that's the hard bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But those things, they were hard all the time. All the time, for sure. Mm. I remember I remember driving, do you remember the, do you remember Ascari did the KZ1 GT3? Yeah. God, I drove one of those probably 10, probably 10 years ago now. Same thing. It was just intimidating mm. from the second you got in because mm. it was it was loud, it was rough, big, 
you know mechanical sequential gearbox like this and it, i don't think there's a car that I, a modern car i would say even race car i've got in since then that's even compared to something like that no i mean they're, they're you even if you got into a slight bit of difficulty where a modern gt3 car that you drive now you can actually slide them around a little bit mm. these things had no tolerance for that no. at all like you got a little bit of a twitch in the car and you were off because they had so much grip yeah and so much aero and they you would be going so quick as well i mean i went off at villanunga i didn't do any damage thankfully but i went off at villanunga and then the day two i went off at 168 miles an hour God, effort. oh yeah it was a massive one <laughs> <laughs> um, but they looked at the data of it and everything, and I had a little onboard camera as well. And the, the team were actually quite proud of me because they said, actually, while you were spinning at 168 miles an hour, you went down three gears <laughs> thinking that you could get it back. And that's, that's your racing driver mentality is like, never give up. I'm not gonna... yeah. But luckily, I didn't do any damage. I just got beached in the gravel. And it was only practice. It wasn't in the race. So I was very lucky. Got that's mega. It. Mm. So, okay. So we've, cause we've got to the point where you're racing a GT2 car now. Yeah. Where does it go from there? <laughs> well, we had a recession. <laughs> That's where it went from of there. Of course. So, um, yeah, so unfortunately, uh, yeah, no more money. Yeah. And that's where I got to. All those uh, uh, briefcases full of cash that were flying around were no more. Absolutely. You know, dot-coms had all crashed and everything yeah. else that. So, yeah, so basically I had uh, sort of some other options. I raced some historic cars and, and did some other stuff as well. And, and basically a jobbing pro racing driver. You know, I was getting paid to do it. Mm. Uh, I was doing tuition as well and I was instructing and doing lots of other things. So you were just kind of like getting by. And then we're leading on to the bit that I'm sure you're more interested in, which is how I got into TV work. Well, yeah, because, yeah, I think everyone's interested because it's not an area of the industry that really gets talked about. And there's obviously reasons for that. Mm. You know, it, you are, you, you know, for all intents and purposes, people have watched you and team on telly probably an awful lot. Mm. But yeah. again, they don't know who you are. No, no. So, and, and we deliberately do that a little bit because, um, you know, the, I'll, I'll speak about the dawn of my company um, in, a, in a few moments. But basically to get from that transition from racing driver to working in this industry of film and TV was that you get to that point and you go, right, what do I want to achieve out of anything now? I can run around trying to get sponsors and go into a million sponsors meeting and try and explain to people why they should give me money so I can go and have fun and raise a good time. <laughs> exactly. you know, can and, you give and, me half a million pounds so exactly. I can go and have a really nice time? <laughs> and there's amazing tax benefits in that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> really, you know, going and, you know, going through a series of managers and people looking after you. And I, and I had some brilliant offers. I got offered a Formula One drive uh, with Spiker F1, but they wanted you know, millions and millions to do that. And, you know, there's loads of stories that I can tell you, which every racing driver can tell you about what could have happened and yeah. if you got the right backing and all that kind of stuff. So I got to that point where I was like, well, what am I going to do with myself? And um, I was very lucky. I got uh, offered a commercial to work on and it was for a new car and it was doing a shoot in Paris. It was just like a one-off kind of thing. And that's how I initially got in. And I met with all of the top gear guys and I met with some of the other people that are involved in it and the camera guys. And also I knew Ben Collins, mm -hmm. the original white stick. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so I was friends with all those guys. So they were like, why don't you come down, drive a camera car, see how you get on. 
you know, and everything else like that. And that's how then I got into that industry. And was it as relaxed as that? It was me um, and a few others are doing this. We've got this cool gig at Dunsfold, yeah. this little ropey airfield in Surrey. Do you want to come along? It's for a TV show called Top Gear. Was it as casual as that, or was there, were there a few? Was there an application process? Or no, not really. No, I mean it was. It's really hard to explain because it wasn't really an industry standard at that point. It was kind of like they they, they used people from the office to drive some of the cars yeah, before. Course, yeah. And yeah. they used, you know, they, Richard Porter will tell you the same thing. He probably yeah. drove quite a few of their cars back in those days. Richard being the writer for Top Gear and doing stuff for like that. So he, you know, they just plonk anyone in it. And then they realised that cars are getting really fast and dangerous. And they wanted to do drift shots and they wanted to do different things. And the risk was going up. And so they actually kind of needed to employ. So I was at the dawn of that. Mm-hmm. So again, when I say about being lucky and being privileged and all those kind of things... I was in the right place at the right time. I, and I would honestly say that if I wasn't going through my driving experiences in the 90s where you didn't have onboard cameras, you didn't have any restrictions. I mean, I messed about in a lot of cars on yeah. a lot of racetracks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it wouldn't happen now. You couldn't yeah. be able to do you it. You wouldn't get away with it. No. no. So I learned a lot of the stuff that I use on TV now being a bit of an arse mm-hmm. <laughs> on corporate days, track days yeah. and all that other stuff. So that, those skills allowed me to get into that position. And, and I have, like I said, I was in the right place at the right time. They said, look, we're supposed to use another driver. We need somebody who kind of knows what they're doing. Have a go. They said, did you know anyone? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I didn't have your number at that point. <laughs> um, I, was, I was also five years old. <laughs> <laughs> All right, rub it in, why don't you? God, you actually were, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. that's terrifying. Christ. So I got, I got into that position and... I did an okay job, yeah. And, yeah. and and once you become in, in the film and TV side of things, it's very clicky. Yes. And once you're in, you're in. Yeah. It's getting through the door is the hard part. Yeah. And it's not just you getting in the door; it's everyone else that you're associated with, but also that reputation behind it. Because you can, I mean, I can even go on a set tomorrow with a new director, a new producer, a new company that don't know anything about me. Obviously, with the internet now, it's a lot easier. You can Google it. But mm-hmm. before that, I, I would walk on and they would not trust you at all. Mm-hmm. They were like, well, who are you? What do you know? Like, everything else of that. And that's how it was in the early days. You mm-hmm. would go there and have to kind of prove yourself. Yeah, It's a bit like going back to school and facing the bully. You know, you're kind of like there and you're going, well, okay, I'm going to have to be funny here or do something stupid to make him laugh and not hit me and take my lunch money. <laughs> Hang on a minute. You just described my entire childhood. <laughs> that's, a, that's another podcast. Not, not today. Not We're, today. You're listening to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so glad there's no video on this <laughs> but Just I'll, passing the tissues. Now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just crying in the corner. Yeah, sorry. Um, so I'd love to tell you it was a, a you know rigorous process and all that kind of stuff, which it is now. Yeah. But there wasn't any sort of legislation for it back then, and there wasn't kind of like a, a formula or a standard to, to go to. I, <laughs> so, love, I just love the idea that, that you're there at Dunsfold, the cameras are out, there's you know, Clarkson's perhaps there, he's just done his piece to camera, and then oh, we need some dynamic shots of this Koenig's egg, and the producer looks around and goes... Nikki, <laughs> when you finish your coffee, do you want to just power slide this curly? Yeah, Nikki's going to do it when now. When she finish cleaning those toilets, would you mind just... Do you know what? It's not far from the truth. <laughs> but isn't that how these things go? You yeah, know, like yeah. there are th- these inception stories of anyone that I think is doing well and, and like finds himself in a position, 
you know, like yourself now, mm. it always starts somewhere, doesn't it? And it's never the obvious story because somebody expects to go, oh, well, you must have known someone or this yeah, or that yeah, or the completely. other. And, uh, it just isn't that, is it? No, no. I mean, it was literally just being in the right place at the right time, bumping into the right people. And I think if there's a lesson to be taken from life in that way is that you've got to put yourself out there. You've got to take the risks yep. and also be aware that whoever you're talking to or meeting with might be the next person to introduce Absolutely. you to something amazing. Yeah. yeah, we talk about this all, all the time. Absolutely. We talk about this all the time. And, and you know, without stating the obvious, being good at your craft as well. Yeah. You know, yeah, yes, you could have been in the right place at the right time, but if you couldn't deliver, you'd have just been out on your ass, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know... you And, and uh, I'll be really boring here. I'm obsessed with what I do. Yeah. Absolutely obsessed with it. And I think that's a part of it. You know, you, you can have a passion for something... And again, if you listen to you guys on the podcast here, but watch YouTube videos of car people and stuff, I, I'm a victim of that. I watch, mm. yeah. I fall into the YouTube vortex of watching car builds and stuff like that. Yeah. But you, you, you can love it, but you really have to love it and really be obsessive about it because you'll learn the craft and you'll get better at it. Mm -hmm. And it's one thing being able to drive a car, but then it's a, a whole other thing to understand everything about how to make that car do what you want it to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's another level. And I think, again, for anyone listening to this, if you're into that kind of thing, unfortunately, it's not a cheap business. It's a very expensive business. But, you know, the more you can get and the more experience you can get, then you're going to get better. Yeah. I always use the analogy, the best way to describe it, because a lot of people do ask me, and I'm sure you're going to go on to this um, a bit later on, but um, people always will say, well, how do I get good at driving? How do I get good at this sort yeah. of stuff? I said, well, if you're a footballer, you go to the park, you take your football, you kick it every day. For hours. Mm -hmm. That's what David Beckham did. He f did free kicks constantly and became really, really good at free kicks. Yeah, That's what you do. But to do that costs you nothing. Mm -hmm. It costs you the price of boots and a football and a park. You know, it's not really much in it. But to become a good driver, you've got to pay for fuel, yep. tyres, brakes, location. I mean, yeah. you've got to do a track day on a you track. It costs money. And that's the only thing about this industry that makes it hard. It's quite prohibitive in that respect, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I was only just so very good mutual friend of ours, Tim mm. Marshall Rowe, who, who will definitely be listening to this. <laughs> He's a legend. He's awesome. He's awesome. He's probably putting up a fence or yeah. shouting at someone. He's, he's quite, <laughs> he has this quite. He has this quite sort of. Um, angry demeanor about it but he's actually a genuinely lovely bloke and also incredibly good at what he does he's a very good driver he's, yeah. he's awesome um and we were talking about that on the way here because you know it's needless to say you get asked also the, the question you get all the time is how do i get into it you know mm. not just how do i become a good driver or how do i learn car control and there is no easy answer and it, it it's actually a product of circumstance i would say i would say you know like with with you guys it you've always been in cars uh even like you say corporate days or things like that yeah. where now it would be probably a bit more frowned upon you just go and have a mess around and you learn a lot for me it was a bit of that and then latterly working for a manufacturer but you know like you say we we i remember one year spending thirty-eight thousand pounds on tires yeah, thirty-eight thousand. Thirty-eight thousand pounds on tires. He's like... loaded, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you pay him too much. <laughs> uh, just, just, to, just to add to that, that didn't come out of my wallet. <laughs> you stole it. Yeah. <laughs> and jokes on them because they would struggle to find that kind of money. <laughs> but no, no, no. That was again when I was working back from manufacturer, and and that was a decade. That's a decade of wow, yeah. Mm, yeah. doing that kind of stuff, being you know different conditions, whether it be 
uh, on the ice, on dry tarmac, on a racetrack, on a wet handling circuit, on dirt, you name it. There's no, you can't go and prescribe that to somebody, mm-hmm. right? No. No, I mean, and like, how much money would it cost you to go to Sweden or Finland oh. and do ice driving oh, if you were yeah, doing yeah. it yourself? Yeah. So it's, it's a really hard thing. I'll give you a really good example. So um, on social media, occasionally you get the odd message or the odd email through. And I had a great one from a lovely, lovely man, but he was uh, he was just basically a fan mm-hmm. and was a truck driver and everything else like that. And he was like, I've really wanted to drive a Bugatti Veyron. Um, can you offer me a job so that I can get to drive one? Oh, and I was wow. like, okay, well, what kind of experience <laughs> have you got? Because, you know, like yeah, I said to you, I'll you can't judge it. people. Yeah, yeah, straight yeah. Away. You know, he might be... You know, might have been a racing driver back in the day and he's ended up as a lorry driver now. Um, so I said, what experience have you got? Oh, I haven't got any experience. I just drive trucks, you know, and everything else. Like that. And I'm like, let me just put it to you this way. You want me to recommend you to drive an over a million pound supercar yeah. and ensure you to drive that. Introduce you to a production company who don't know you from anyone else mm-hmm. and get us all to trust you to drive this car, probably at 200 miles an hour because most Veyrons want to do that. And you think that's going to be kind of justifiable yeah. and he was like yeah you're probably right and it, and that's the hardest thing is that rep, it's a chicken and egg situation where your reputation <laughs> needs to precede you to be able to get that work but you can't get that work unless you've got the experience so how do you get the experience very much so Thirty-eight thousand pounds worth of tires yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, and yeah. that's you know that's that's definitely at the sharp end i would say but it it that is a harsh reality of it mm. you know that is a harsh reality of it and i'm the first to encourage anyone uh that's you know trying to trying to make their way or anything and help mm. them in any way possible, but it isn't easy. No, it no. isn't easy, and and you know um, you're exactly right. You, you as a business now, you carry a certain level of yeah. responsibility and risk. And and I hate being that person to say you know, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's you know you don't you. I would always support people and give them advice and try and help them if I can. But again, you, you kind of go well to what you've got to be chasing a dream of sorts but mm. find your niche in it as well don't look at the lottery winner and think that you're going to win the lottery without buying a ticket you've got to yeah. really invest in it and really go for it and if that's not for you if you're not financially able to do that look at another thing you know look at something else become you know a, a master of track days or mm. become a master of something else and then maybe you might get that experience for free that allows you to do other things it's a, it's a it's a really really hard thing and it breaks my heart at times because I'm very lucky and very privileged, and I know that. I also worked really hard to get yeah. where course, I am. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can't do it without hard work in any industry. But it's harder now than it was when I did it. So people see the result of what I've done over the last, you know, 20 years mm-hmm. and go, well, I'd love to do that. Well, you go, well, okay, I've got 20 years on you, but also That's I did it in it. a different era. Yeah. And it's harder now. And it's and it's it's heartbreaking for me as well because I, I want to see more people doing cool of stuff. Of course. Yeah, no, you're, it's so true. It's it, that balance between you know being fortunate in finding an opportunity versus being the opportunist. And there is, I have a very uh, fond memory of mutual friend of ours, Miles Tim, who looks after a very large um, hypercar brand. They are really, um, and as part of his job as in marketing, as he looks after their social media feeds or sees the, the direct messages that come in. Mm. And this is a, a hypercar brand selling for millions plus. So we're talking four four million euros will get you one of these hypercars, and the amount of messages they'll get a week from people going, "Hi, um, just thought I'd ask out of the blue uh, because you know, don't ask, don't get." What are the odds that I can have one just for free? What? <laughs> and I'm not saying, and not like, wow, yeah, not, and not, not like, this is I'm having a laugh. These are people that genuinely feel oh 
that by asking the question directly, it, it might just be the case that Tim or whoever picks up their phone, gets the Instagram DM and goes, so this guy, he's, uh, he's 20 years old and he wants to, oh, he wants the £4 million one and oh, he wants it for free. Uh, but he has been quite cheeky at the end with a nice little smiley face. Yeah, Why go not? on. Yeah, yeah. Let's pop one on a truck now and send it to him. But this is, this is, is a real thing. And, you know, I think back to my time at Gumball. We used to get it all the time. Yeah. People would message, you know, this is a 40, 50, 60,000 pound trip that people go on for a, a week long trip. Yeah. And the amount of people that would email, phone, yeah. send direct messages on Instagram. How do I do this for free? How, how you tell me what I need to do to do this for free, even though that this is the company that needs to make money that charges people to do what yeah, we do. Yeah, it's not a charity. And you, yeah, it is, it is That's fascinating. fascinating. But That's it's, fascinating. it's going down that route, though, isn't it, of social media in particular? Yeah. And, and we can come on to this topic now, where people say, well, I'll, I'll post about you and you'll get free exposure oh, and things on. like that. And you're yeah. like, well, okay, but that doesn't pay my bill yeah. down at the supermarket no. or my heating or anything else like that so yeah. i think there's there's definitely in in our industry in particular on both sides with the cars and the filming where they go oh come and work for free and and we'll give you some exposure you know you've got to be wary of that kind of stuff too. i think there's a fine line isn't there because I, I definitely when i was younger i would definitely do that would prospect like crazy you know mm. um having said that you know the, I, the, what I would say is to anyone listening, you know, we're not we're not actually doing a we're not trying to stop people from asking those questions at all because uh, it does work. I remember I was really at the time trying to shape my writing a little bit more when mm. I was still writing for SCD and whatnot. And I, I, just on a whim, I messaged Henry Catchpole on Instagram. Yeah, he didn't know me. I, you know, he didn't have a clue who I was, and he was actually kind enough to message back. And we since had a phone call and he critiqued some of my work and said it was all shit. (laughs) (laughs) You did write in Crayola. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, But no, in all seriousness, yeah. And, and, and the likes of, I mentioned Chris Goodwin before, you know, obviously ex uh, McLaren test driver and he's been, he's since become a, hang on a second. Let me just pick that one up off the floor. (laughs) 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 I'm going to start name dropping (laughs) soon. Um, And you know, they've been kind enough to offer their time and uh, that, that I still I still encourage people to to, to do that. But, it's in, but I think we're approaching this argument of uh, the 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 time for free thing as people that are trying to get into the industry and go, mm-hmm. I'll do some work for free. Um, yes, you're absolutely right, Nikki. There are definitely times where if if you as a young aspirational writer, photographer, filmmaker, presenter, whatever it would be, driver. Are desperate to get onto the ladder, you will. There will always be a baddie out there that's trying to get something out of you for free. Go, yeah, oh, well, if yeah, you do yeah. this, you know, you'll be up the ladder. But there are also opportunities or times that have to. We, we've all, I'm sure, three of us have been through those chapters where we've worked for free, knowing that we are aiding our experience. We're of building course. up our knowledge, and yeah. you know, I think back to the many, many years of working my butt off trying to organise track days at Blyton Park and Browns Hatch and you having to drive up from Wimbledon at five in the morning to get to some arse end circuit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, Castle Coon or somewhere. And uh, <laughs> thinking, oh, like, why am I doing this for maybe £100 a day? I think my day rate was back then. But you have to, you have to go through those, those times, don't you? And, um, yeah, I just think it's, it, it's fascinating now that, it seems that that 
culture, from where I sit, seems to be dying down. People aren't as interested in putting in the hard work, taking a few risks and doing it. They're kind of sat there going, no, I I just want to skip all that hard bit, go yeah. straight yeah. to the fun bit, yeah. give me the Veyron and, yeah. <laughs> and, and the hypercar. And it, yeah. That's yeah. wild. I don't know how that's we... A, that's, a, that's an incredible story, though, to think, <laughs> you know... <laughs> but, I mean, you, you know, you can't blame the guy for trying, I suppose. No, no. Yeah. I can. <laughs> <laughs> Because I, because Tim is lovely. He's just like, oh, you know, I just send a lovely email back, and I'm like, let let me reply. Yeah. Like, yeah. what? I've got two words. Plan for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was a nice little, um, nice little sideline. Nice little and then we've, we've gone through a therapy session. We, now, have, we, just, have, we have. Yeah. We, yeah. I feel like I'm benefiting from this probably more than you see. <laughs> um, so bring us back to okay. So yeah, you, back in line. Come on. Let's, yeah. let's come on. Yeah. Right. Straight faces, everyone. Yeah. You've gone ahead and you've spent a bit of time now working with Top Gear in its very early days. Yep. And you're now becoming part of a staple part of the group at this point. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's the Top Gear, I think we've stated it several times before. We're kind of like a family. So we travel the world together, and you know we're all a lot younger and had more hair and all single and <laughs> stuff like that back in those days. So you were like a travelling circus basically, um, and you trust each other. I'm very, very lucky, and I'll say this across the board as well. Um, and I think a few of your other guests in our industry have mentioned the same thing. You work with so many talented people, mm. like immensely talented people, like from the sound recordists to the, you know, to the runners, to the producers, to the obviously the DOP and the camera operators. I mean, those guys are the best mm-hmm. that you'll ever see. I mean, they are so good and they work under extreme pressure as well. Yeah. You know, you, you see these beautiful shots of a car driving through the desert. You don't realise that those guys are standing out in 50 degree heat. That's right. Trying yeah. to keep a camera alive. Yeah. Trying to keep the lens clean from sand and dust and everything else like that for hours trying to get these shots you know and they've got a like i've always said to the camera guys you can't basically do anything without them getting it right because i can do the most amazing stunt i can jump a car drift it you know do barrel roll in it whatever they want but if they don't press the record button Mm. get it in focus and point it at the right spot then I've done it for nothing. Sure. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. without them, you know, without all of the people that are behind the scenes that you don't see, you know, you don't, nobody sits there and watches all the names on the credits, but those are the people that are all experts in their field. Mm. And basically Top Gear and subsequently the Grand Tour are, are those people as well. Yeah. You know, so you become very tight with each other. You have a lot of respect for each other and you become this traveling circus. And, and it was a great, great time. I mean, it, we did some amazing things and it was at the height of Top Gear then as well. I mean, the presenters were like rock stars going around, you know, the hotels yeah. would get flooded with fans and everything else like that. And, and it was, I always described it as I led, the best of both worlds apart from the financial side <laughs> so obviously i don't get paid anywhere near what those guys get paid but we get to do all the cool stuff that they get to do but yeah. with anonymity yes and that's part of our usp is that nobody knows like probably that several of the listeners on this podcast now will not know who i am mm. won't know what i look like won't know anything about me but they've seen my work mm. yeah and and i like that side of it i like the anonymity i like being able to go shopping and not I like, get hassled. I like the idea of you know, one of the Top Gear specials, everyone's staying at a big hotel in the city centre. Mm. And if you decided, oh, I just fancy popping out and you know, seeing what's down the road, what's at the end of my road, or pop to a newsagent to buy a magazine or something and have that ability to just walk out the hotel yeah. as a unrecognisable person. Yeah. Whereas Clarkson, Hammond or May going, I fancy popping across the road and getting the, le- the latest Auto happened. Express, yeah. which is going to get flooded. I've yeah. had this exact conversation with um, Richard Hammond, actually. We were sat down one time and we were just chatting generally. I'm like, what if you really fancy something like a Pizza Express? Like, yeah. what, what do you and Mindy do? And he was like, 
well, we don't go. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. why can't you? And he goes, because we'll just get so much hassle, it wouldn't be worth it. You just get mobbed. Yeah. Yeah. And, mm. you know, uh, and you kind of, when you see that side of it, and you're kind of like, do you know what? I don't want that. That's right. Yeah. And, and you know, my anonymity. So with the Top Gear stuff, other things came in as well. So obviously we did car commercials and various other shows and things came and went. But you because you've got that anonymity, you can move around in different areas. So you can work for one manufacturer and for another one. Because if the, if you're a celeb and they see you on camera and all that kind of stuff, you're kind of like, oh, you're associated with Ferrari or you're associated mm. with that. Yeah. So that's that was a good side of it. Um, but for many, many years, you know, we would go around seeing some amazing things. You know, I went to Japan. We raced a bullet train across Japan, which was phenomenal, you know, with the Nissan GTR. Yeah, I remember that was well. a great thing that's to awesome. do. And what people don't realize as well is that we shoot it twice. So we do it for real the first time. And the general rule with Top Gear, from our point of view, is most of the time when people went, oh, no, that was fake, that was so fake, 90% of the time it was actually real. Uh It wasn't staged. It wasn't anything else like that. It was actually real. So that bullet train race, we were literally about a minute and 38 seconds apart from each other at the end of the race. That's awesome. Which is stunning. Even the director was amazed by that. So obviously they work out the timings in advance and Mm. everything, and they try and get it to be as close as possible. But in that particular occasion, it really was that close. Wow. Like we ran up the top of the hill and then literally a minute and 38 seconds later, the other two ran up. So it was, sorry if I'm spoiling the episode for no, anyone. That's else. incredible. But I think it, they've seen it now. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that was for real. But what they don't realise is then we go back to the start and do it all over again. Right. And people go, well, why do you do it all over again? Because like, we don't have 4,000 cameramen across that's Japan right. to yeah. film it. Yeah. <laughs> So we have to film all the what we call pickup shots. Yep. So of it bombing down the motorway and doing stuff like that. So we do this leapfrog episode. So basically where the, the camera crew will go on ahead and stop, the car will stop, and then we'll drive through, pass the cameramen, they'll get back in their car, drive on ahead and do and keep doing that, like a leapfrog thing between the star car and the camera crew. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, I, I heard this fact, I don't know whether it's an absolute fact, but um, and I'm sure Andy Wallman, who is the producer, will be able to sort it out. But it was a 20-minute segment on the show, broken into two parts. I think across all of the cameras and the GoPros and all the other stuff that we had, I think we had 82 hours of footage. Wow. Yeah, I can, I can believe totally it. believe yeah. that. Yeah. And that's what made this show so special, is because you could edit that 82 hours down to 20 really good minutes of yes. TV. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and the presenters are brilliant at what they do. They are more talented than people give them credit for. They're, to be able to do what they do, have an opinion on a car and mm. stick to it, which is quite rare, I think. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, they, they love when it goes wrong and mm. they go with it and, and the humour that goes with it. And they are genuinely friends that hate each other. Yeah. A bit like us, really. <laughs> um, and because when you've, when you've been in that relationship for so many years and been through what they've been through together... Of course, they're going to irritate each yes, other. Yes, of course. Of course, they wind each other up. But they also complement each other and know how to wind each other up. Yeah. So it makes great telly. I love those little nuggets of, like, I guess I, that side of it, the filming of and having to do the leg again in order to get all the footage. I completely understand that. As somebody that does filming, you know, you, 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 you know when you need to do the pickups, what have we missed, go through the shot list, right, we need to do that, 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 and that. But I recently, there was another little nugget that I heard when talking to Brian Klein recently. Yeah, love who, Brian. Of course, has been the director of Top Gear since before Top Gear was he, Top Gear. He's it, the clumsiest, clumsiest man you'll ever meet. <laughs> yeah. Did he fall over when he walked into the studio? <laughs> 
He, I love him, by the way. Do you know what? He almost did. <laughs> he, he might be listening, so I would choose my words carefully. Yeah. But um, Brian told me, yeah, we were talking about th- that lovely era of Top Gear and especially those adventures. And even then, he went on to do Grand Tour as well, didn't he? With yeah. A few, couple of seasons um, with that. And Brian shared something with me, which a bit like that pick up on the shots to do that road trip twice, that mm. perhaps a, a few people listening would go, huh, never thought of that. Brian said something to me, which made me do exactly that, which was that Willman, mentioning Andy Willman there, exec producer, was so good at picking out particular parts of narrative in order to build up the story. And the thing that he was really good at was taking the in-car dialogue. So think Clarkson, Hammond and May are all driving together, talking to each other on the radios. Hmm. Now, we can all think of a, um, immediately a scene from one of the road trips where there was a funny anecdote back and forth between the three guys in the cars. Likewise, modern-day Top Gear um, with Chris Harris, Freddie and Paddy. But what I failed to allow myself to even consider, and I'm sure many others would have done the same, is that dialogue goes on for weeks. Mm -hmm. You're filming for seven days at a time, and that conversation is constant. And what ends up happening is Andy Willman takes away a book of dialogue from one day of shooting where all three presenters have been going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, having an amazing, hilarious conversation, which for them, they're thinking at the time of saying it, this is funny. Mm -hmm. This is definitely going to make its way into the show. (laughs) But of course, the reality is you're probably only going to be able to use three minutes of that dialogue in one 20-minute piece. And Andy will sit there, Andy Willman will flick through the entire dialogue and pick out those best bits and then find those clips from the in-car footage from the tracking car footage matched up with the bit that they then recapped on it when they got to a petrol station yep. and makes all of that work and that's it. It goes out and that's all we see as the audience and go, God, that was funny. That's madness. But yet... Woman is a it's genius. Happened, he is a genius. Just, it blows my mind that, yeah. you know, there's so much that so many of us would just go, I definitely never thought of that. And, and Woman, I mean, I was... I, speaking to him the other day so obviously i have a lot to do with him um he was talking about something and and we were on set uh doing a, a shot or something he was like oh i'll never use that and he yeah. knows so he's editing the show while we're filming it yeah and but he then goes like you've just said goes and in piles of piles of dialogue that he has to sift through and then make it funny yeah you know the, yeah. the guys are funny don't get me wrong yes they, yeah, are, they funny. are yeah and like some of the stuff that Hammond said off the cuff is amazing. Yes, and I, I, he's had us in tears on set before. Um, but the you kind of you've got to get the tone of that moment as well. Yeah. And again, if they're repeating it over and over again, you know, you're listening to it, and it's funny the first time, then it's kind of not so funny the second time. But then they'll they'll tw- add a twist to it, and mm-hmm. then that's quite funny mm-hmm. to find that moment mm. in the middle of all of that. Of, Such a skill. Yeah. Right. Such a skill. Like, very underrated. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And and it's interesting what you say there about Hammond, because I've heard that comment made from just about every single person I've spoken to from a production point of view on Top Gear. They've all said how remarkably funny Richard Hammond is as a for that exact off the cuff. And in fact, recently, so I I flew for a weekend away recently, flew off. Uh, to the Canary Islands, and I was, did that typical thing, got to the airport, and thought, oh no, I'm flying with Ryanair, I need to download shows quickly to watch. Now, I'd already watched Carnage et Toi, the not most recent, but recent-ish oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Grand Tour special, yeah. which was the French car episode. Which was great to work on, by the way. I can imagine. I've got a story about that. It looked brilliant. <laughs> because, and I remember watching it when it first came out and thinking, oh, this is really funny. But 
there's something about watching a show like that on your phone in an environment where you've got nothing else to focus on other than the thing you're watching. That is bloody funny, that show. And throughout, Hammond has came out with so many amazing little lines, which you can see genuinely James and Jeremy's reaction is so genuine. They are falling about laughing because he's come out with some absolutely amazing stuff. So, yeah, and I think that often gets overlooked as well. You know, I think people automatically go, oh, Clarkson's the funny one. But I, I, say, I see it more and more now, especially watching things for the second time, going, oh, yeah, he's actually, he's got a brilliant brain. He has. Really he's very quick. Yeah. Yeah. When it, when, especially when things are going wrong and people are getting tetchy around him, he's very quick at coming up with a, a response to that. Brilliant. So, um, but they're all good. I mean, James is is funny as well. Yeah. I mean, he James is very dry. Yeah. So you, you know, James, I love James as well. James is brilliant. And going down to the pub and having a pint and a pie with him is probably the best thing you can ever do because he will talk to you about everything. Yeah. And he's great. Um, but he's very dry and he'll come out with some funny stuff. And, <laughs> and, and Jeremy, obviously, everyone knows Jeremy. It's interesting, actually, from my point of view, because I've known Jeremy a very long time. And we've been together doing, you know, around the world, like I've said. But um, people watch Clarkson's Farm, mm. which is a very successful show. I've never watched an episode of it. Ah. Right. Only because... I've worked with a guy for so many years and I know him really well. I don't really want to spend my spare time <laughs> watching more of him. Sure. With the deepest of respect to you, Jeremy, if you're listening to this. Yes. <laughs> but I'll, I will catch up with it at some point when... Yeah. I, when it is know. very good. Yeah, it, it is brilliant. Very good. But people saying they're seeing a different side to him mm. and saying, oh, you know, I didn't know he was like this because they see him as this loud-mouthed individual that right. has an opinion on things and stuff like that. But... The Clarkson Farm version of Jeremy is the one I know anyway. Yes. So it's not a revelation to me. It's, it, he's a very intelligent man. He knows what he's doing. Um, he's got a great historical brain. Mm. Um, he did a, a, a documentary on PQ-17, the Northern um, Arctic convoys during the Second World War. Mm. And you watch that documentary and it's stunning. It's one of the best things he's done, actually. Wow. Um, and that, that, that kind of stuff he's very good at. Mm. And that, that you see the human side of him when he's on... The Grand Tour and previously Top Gear, he's a personality. Yeah, he's yes. the double denim, Afro wearing. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. a character of himself. Yeah, you know, and I think um, you know that's that's what people get an opinion on him. But he's actually got a heart. I, yeah, I can completely believe that. We have featured Clarkson before on the podcast. It's, he's not somebody I've met personally. I've, I've not inter- interviewed him, uh, but I'd love to someday to try and you know, pick some of that side of his brain that perhaps the masses don't get to see because you're right that person the personality of Clarkson on the farm is completely different to Top Gear version yeah. and Grand Tour version yeah. and I've got farmer friends of mine who have said uh, even after watching season one of Clarkson's farm they said that Clarkson had done more for farming in five episodes of Clarkson's farm than Country File had in yeah. 15 years yeah. and suddenly there was this compassionate side and if you watch the second season in comparison to that I th- I'd say he's even more compassionate he realized that he was giving a voice to the farming community and therefore mm. went actually I can use this I can I can be the voice for this incredibly deprived community of hard-working men and women and families yeah um to try and make the public realize how much of a bum deal they've got but yeah I I, I know it's a bit crass you know using words like 
genius for people that you never met but i do i do look at a lot of what clarkson's done i know he's made some controversial choice decisions with statements he's made and things but mm. his ability as a writer <laughs> well, apparently <laughs> allegedly i mean we can't say anymore because the legal team will get answers. there's a group of but lawyers yeah. looking through the window and I'm, no. yeah but yeah his his ability and integrity as a writer the ability to portray humor in written words for me that has been so inspirational and i think it was when i started reading Clarkson's writing as a young, impressionable teenager, having seen him already as a television presenter and then realised, oh, he, he writes things as well. And reading his stuff as a, as a you know late teen, early 20s and going, oh, my God, this guy is so brilliant to what mm-hmm. he does. Mm-hmm. I just think it's great. So, yeah, it must have been, uh, must be quite magical yeah. you know, working with him and seeing that true side of him. Do you ever get frustrated when you do hear the comments from the public? You're like, oh, yeah, he's a moron and he's a buffoon, which I think is the common statement. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not here to defend him or protect him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's his own man. And, and um, yeah, I mean, there's there's been certain things. Um, I remember him doing an interview on the One Show once, and I'm actually oh, yeah. I was friends with Matt Baker at the time. Well, I'm still friends with him, but, <laughs> but um, yeah. So basically, he texted me and he said, "Is there any questions I shouldn't ask him, and and you know anything I should ask him about and everything?" And I said, "Whatever you do, don't wind him up." And then they opened the show with kids dressed up as judges saying, "We put it to you that you upset the Mexicans, and we put it to you that you did this and did that." Oh and of course, God. they wound him up. And he came out with a comment. I'm not going to repeat it for legal reasons, but he came out with a comment. This was the which, about striking. Yes, yes people yes, on yes. strike. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, um, and it, it was on the front of the Daily Mail and everything else like that. And literally, it was because they poked him with a stick. Mm-hmm. And he said, "This is a very nice, homely, early evening BBC show. Yeah. I know how to wind them up because yeah. they wound me up." And and he's defending himself on that in, in a way. He's he's going, "Well, if you're going to do that to me, I can do that to you." Mm-hmm. And it, and. That's not a necessarily a, a sort of portrait of the full man. Mm. It's just, it's his personality. It's like if Simon Cowell suddenly went on to Britain's Got Talent and said, do you know what, if you had some singing lessons, dancing lessons, you actually might be quite good. Yeah. It's better that he says you can't sing, you can't dance, get off the stage. Yeah. Mm. It's the personality that makes it. And controversy is always a good thing, isn't yeah. it? It keeps you in the in the news and it keeps you current. So, um, so it doesn't frustrate me when I see bad things said about him i think mm. sometimes he brings it on himself mm. yeah and and but i think sometimes he deliberately brings it on himself so i think um you know that he is what he is and and we all know it some people love him some people hate him hey you know i like marmite some people don't you mm. know it's uh. <laughs> so, do you like marmite uh, no do you hate it oh god yeah right stop the podcast <laughs> <laughs> well i'll tell you what we will we're going to cut to a quick advert break we'll let uh Perhaps give ourselves the opportunity to refresh our hot drinks, have a biscuit, uh, or have a little comfort break. So we can do that. Uh, you can do the same, dear listener, if you like. Let me look at where we are up to. I'm just oh my looking... God, we've been rattling on for an hour already. I know, you need to put your clothes back on, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're, we've only got up to, career-wise, to 2011. I know. We've got, <laughs> we've got, we've got plenty to go. We've got plenty to go. So, uh, uh, yes, join us after the break for the next eight hours of this week's Driven Chat podcast. We'll be right back. The Driven Chat Podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Right, we're back. Which I, I always like because we've either, when, whenever we do the advert break thing, we say, could it go for an advert break? And we either just sit here in silence for 10 seconds and go, everyone okay to continue? Mm-hmm. And then we carry on. Or we actually do have a break. I legitimately we have just needed a break. I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah. People always say that when they talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's thirsty work. Good grief. <laughs> um, now, so we've worked through a brilliant um, story so far with you, Nikki, with regards to a bit of motorsport and then kind of falling your way into, uh, or falling into, I should say, the industry of television, which then, as I feel we're probably going to venture into, has evolved into the world of film as Mm. well. So for this section of the podcast, I think we'll either have like a clang sound effect (laughs) or I'm going to just just set you the challenge of name-dropping as many... Huge we want it all. Superstar Films, names as celebrities, possible. cool stories. Because you okay. have gone through. I mean, I, I'll, I'm going to let you. Give... Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, poor choice of words there. <laughs> uh, I'll let you reel off the the list of films that you can say that you've worked on because I know that because of this wonderful industry there are some that we have to be fairly sensitive because they're either not out yet or they're still in development or they're still under wraps but mm. give us a hit us with some highlight film titles that our dear listener will look at and will listen to and go oh 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 <laughs> okay well um the one I'm most known for is Rush uh-huh. um so that's probably the biggest one and I had a lot to do with that film Yep. Um, so I'll tell you a story about that one in a moment. Keep listening. Um, <laughs> you can tell then, his media trained. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I went from that on to Kingsman. Okay, yeah. Which was a great film to work on because we all thought it was going to be rubbish and it wasn't. It was brilliant. Yeah, it was really popular. Uh, and then Mission Impossible. Uh, so I've done quite a few Mission Impossibles now. It appears that we can't complete them. <laughs> They're all impossible. <laughs> so I, I did uh, Rogue Nation, Fallout, um, and then we've got the latest two that are coming out. They're being filmed. One of them is being filmed at the moment. So part one and part two. Um, and then Transformers. We did last oh, wow. night of Transformers. That was good fun and chaotic because it's Michael Bay. Mm. And oh, sorry, there's the first clang. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Um, so yeah, he uh, he's an interesting character. So I'll tell you about him as well. Yeah. And then uh, what else? Where else have I been? Oh, Luther the movie that's out at the moment on Netflix. Yeah. We did a bit on that. Yeah, I watched that. That's did really you? Good. It's quite dark, isn't it? It's. I said that. Yeah, I said that. I've not seen it yet, but it's I've heard dark. amazing things. Everyone I speak to, you mm. do the, the typical office chat of what's everyone watching, and everyone, everyone in, except me has been watching Luther, uh, all saying amazing things. So yeah, yeah, I've done done a few things. Uh, the Mummy uh, oh, worked yeah. on that. So I've done quite a few films with Ready for the Clang, Tom Cruise. Nice. Yeah, so I've done quite a few with him. Yeah, um, and did Ben in Black as well. With my friend Chris Hemsworth. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm probably missing a few because as crazy well, as might sound, yeah, there are a lot. You know, um, you only have to flick around your website just for, 
two seconds to realize that you've been involved in a lot of big productions so um yeah the clangs are okay because you've just done a lot <laughs> yeah yeah and and there's a couple more that are due to come out um later this year so um there's another film that's uh i think most car people are waiting for which is gran turismo yeah so, yeah of course um and i can tell you a very small amount about that film but sure. it's uh it certainly was fun to make yeah and it will be an interesting thing because it's a, it's a true story as well. So a lot of people think it's just about the game, but it is, has the gaming side to it wow. and also the rea- real story mm. of um, of a driver called Jan Mardenborough. So yeah, of yes, course, he's a good yeah. friend of mine. So very clang. lucky. Clang, yes, another one. He's not quite as big a clang. Sorry, Jan. I'm he's sorry. cool. He's a cool guy though. We love Jan. Yeah, yeah. he's cool. So um, so yeah. So basically, getting into it to start off with was actually through Top Gear was probably my first film because we did a, an episode uh doing the car chase for the sweeney movie which was a, a small ah. uh, nick love movie and then um, they needed two drivers to drive the cars for the actual film and then they got the presenters to do like a replica of course because this was the funny uh, i'm gonna try and really stretch my memory out xj jaguar xj yeah and a focus ST, but yeah, it wasn't which didn't an exist ST. at that time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, right. was it a diesel? Was it no, a... it was just a normal two liter, oh, right. I think. Yeah. But it had, uh, or maybe even a one point six. It might have been, but with the ST yeah. bodywork and that's interior, it. And stuff. Yeah. Um, right. So yeah, we we I drove the actual car in the actual film, ah. um, which to me was heartbreaking because we had this Jaguar and it was a beautiful car, you know, it's brand new and everything else yeah. like that. And then uh, we had a, a four spare cars, um, so we had the the original sort of main feature car and i had to bang door mirrors and things you'll see it in the movie if you've ever watched it um you know we get window blown out and get shot at and stuff it's great stuff mm. um and uh, and we did all that stuff but they had a sp- another car where they would literally take a hammer to it and a drill and things like that oh. and bash a brand new car to make it look like the same car that i was driving it for continuity so if we did have a breakdown or a problem with that car we could switch to the other car and it still had the same scrapes and marks wow. so they were taking like rocks and sliding oh, it down the side on. on the paper it was heartbreaking to watch yeah um but anyway that that car at one point there's a little story of that where they they fired a gun at the back of my car and it blows out the back window and the explosive guys were obviously having a fun day because they, they basically put in a bit of charge around the windows and the director said, look, the windows will explode. We just need you to duck as if a bullet's passed between you. We're like, okay, yeah, no problem. <laughs> and I would be understating it if I said it was the biggest bang I'd ever heard at that point. <laughs> wow. And where the explosive guys have gone, well, yeah, we'll just put a little bit more in. I mean, they put way too much in. So there was no acting involved. I was literally ducking because I thought the whole car was going to blow up. So we ducked, and then the roof lightning caught fire because <laughs> it no, was so no big way. an explosion. Yeah, so um, so there's there's that scene in the film, which is quite funny. Um, so that, that was my first step into film, and you're working with a director um, for the first time, a film director, you know, Nick Love, and he'd done mm. so many sort of fighty movies and stuff yeah. like that. And it, was, it was quite interesting. Got to meet Ray Winston... Of course, yeah. Plan B, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Plan B. Plan B was the other one. Yeah, Yeah. he was. uh, He was interesting. Yeah. Um, So yeah, they were they were great guys, and and it was my first sort of experience of film. And actually, on the set, Andy Harris was on set, the safety advisor. So he was with us, and um, and he actually told me he said, "Oh, there's a little rumor about an F1 film being made, and Uh, it's a film about Nicky Lauda." And obviously being called Nicky. Did you go? Said, never heard of him. Yeah, never heard of him. <laughs> I don't know. So so long ago. No, no. He was like, it sounds like it will be right up your Strasa. 
So I was like, okay, yeah, you know, and didn't think much of it. And I was trying to investigate the production company and it was all very hush-hush at that. Mm. It was very early on pre-production. So there wasn't any information on it. It was just that there was some statement somewhere in the industry that they were going to make an F1 film. Mm. So I was then sat at home sort of trying to research these kind of things. And, and you kind of get to that point where you go, look, I can run around trying to find it. What will be will be, you know, let's see what happens. And my phone rings. <laughs> And I'm in the other room and I'm, it's one of those ones, and this is another good lesson for people, it's one of those ones where the phone rang and I didn't recognise the number or anything else like that. It was late in the evening and I was just like, I don't know who that is, I don't know whether I'll bother. It's probably like a prank call or a, yeah. you know somebody trying to sell you a Payment window. protection or insurance exactly. claims. Or yeah. Something, yeah. something like that. And uh, and eventually went, oh, okay, I'll just answer it. And I answered it. He was like, hey, Nicky, it's Ron. I'm like, Ron? He was like, yeah, Ron Howard. I'm like, no way. oh my God. <laughs> like, He's like, oh, I'm making this film about Nicky Lauder and I've been giving you a number and I want to talk to you about it. And I was like, oh my, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. And you've got to try and not sound enthusiastic. Mm. You've got to be like, That's oh, cool. oh yeah. yeah, of course you want to talk to me. Sure, <laughs> sure, 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 sure. Yeah, cool. So I uh, ended up having a meeting with Ron and uh, with a great first director called Lee Grummet. Um, and like this man is incredible and Ron is incredible as well. Really, really lovely guy and phenomenal what he does. And I sat down in this meeting with them and was talking about what they wanted to do. And they had a big screen up and they were showing me ideas of what they wanted to film and whether this was possible. And I was sat there and I was like, well, I wouldn't do it like that. <laughs> no, I wouldn't do it like that. And they were like, oh, really? And I said, no, that just looks a bit rubbish. And then they showed some clips from the film Driven. Mm-hmm which is appropriate for the podcast, yeah. but with the uh, with the indie cars, or champ cars, I think they were. Oh, they? yeah, of course. Yeah, the really terrible sliced alone film. Yeah. And they uh, they showed one of the Indy 500, they showed, and they paused it because I started laughing. <laughs> and they said, why are you laughing? And I was like, because it's so bad. And they, and they were like, well, what do you mean? And Ron was like, the light is great, and we've got the driver's head in shot, and it's, you know, real action, and it feels good. So yeah, look behind him, look at the grandstands. And they were like, Oh, yeah. There's nobody in the grandstands. Mm. It's like empty grandstands. It's the Indy 500. It's the biggest race in yeah, America. Yeah, of course. That's got millions of people. Yeah. So I said, that's empty. And I said, his helmet strap's undone. And he's driving at 200 miles an hour and his helmet strap's flapping around <laughs> underneath his chin. His visor's not even closed properly. And all this stuff. And, and Ron was like, oh, my God. Yeah, well, I would never think of that. I was looking yeah, at the yeah. composition of the shot and, of course. you know, the scene and everything else. Like that, and you're looking at all that stuff. And I'm yeah. like, yeah. And he's like, right, you got the job. Perfect. Like, so that's how I got the rush job. So I ended up choreographing all of the race scenes and all of the driving sequences. Um, and then obviously ended up doubling for Chris Hemsworth. Mm-hmm. Playing. So <laughs> nice. Um, so off the back of that, the reason why I mentioned Lee Grummet as the first AD. So he was effectively helping me with this because 1976 Grand Prix season or Formula One season, there wasn't a lot of TV coverage because it was just pre-TV oh, rights. Interesting. Because Bernie got involved in the last race at Fuji, uh, which was the first live televised race. Oh, was that right? I, yeah, I it, didn't it was, know that. It was always pre-recorded. So they had four cameras around the track. They'd have one roving one in the pit lane, oh. which Sterling Moss was the presenter for of all yeah, people. Yeah, I've seen clips of that. Um, yeah. So they'd always show kind of like highlights of the race. So they'd show oh, it later that don't. day or something like that. So, And they wouldn't cover the whole track. You know, not like F1 now where yeah, you can, you, you know, thing, yeah. see up the driver's nose, you know, if you want to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the, you would only see... So, so if an accident can happen on the other side of the track and you, it wouldn't be covered yeah. because there was no camera there. Yeah. You know, especially at, you know, Nürburgring. Yeah, oh, of course, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So 
so we so we go through this whole thing and ron really wants to recreate this properly and he he explained it the best way to me because he said look you know f1 you know racing you know what people are going to believe and what they like mm. and i said okay yeah no problem because it's up to you to make it good for the f1 community no pressure wow. <laughs> but he said i made a film about going to the moon and i've never been to the moon so i'm pretty sure i can make a film <laughs> about f1 yeah. and get this right if i've got the right people on board and that's where ron's great because he got so many excellent people on board but I digress. I go back to Lee Grummet. This man has a photographic memory. And he read every lap chart from every race that year. So he could tell you that, say, you know, Carlos Pache overtook, you know, Lafitte or someone like that yeah. on lap 64 at Watkins Glen that year or wherever we were. I mean, I'm, I can't even remember what the races were. But he will, he, we, all we had were lap charts, really, to go on and sporadic footage. Mm. And we had to recreate some of these races. And, it was so good having somebody like that with that kind of brain to go, well, actually that car would have been there at that point and that point. And mm. and we could recreate as close as we could. And we got a lot of criticism on that movie because say Paul Rickard was Brands Hatch and, yeah. and, yeah. and I campaigned really hard to make it Snesterton because at least it's flat, yeah. <laughs> but we didn't have the budget to go to Paul Rickard. We didn't have the budget to go to anywhere else. It was kind of, when you, when you look at budget terms, it was a less than a quarter of a, you know, sort of uh, a Mission Impossible film, even mm-hmm. less than that. It was, it, in film terms, it was a tiny budget. So we kind of had to make do amend with a lot of stuff. And I think if I could ever go back and make it better, it would be have more money to make mm. it yeah, even better. But we tried to do as much of it in camera as possible yeah. and make it as realistic. There's some CGI stuff in there because we couldn't crash James Hunt's real F1 car. No. Of course. Although I did damage it. <laughs> well, by accident. As, it, as always, it's an accident. So I was driving along. We were doing the scene at Blackbush, which I know that has been yes, mentioned before, yes. which is our set build where the pits were. Um, and it was a scene of James driving at night uh, when it's dark because it was getting dark at Fuji with the rain towers on and everything mm. else like that. And I was driving the replica car. So we had a replica and it was a very, very good replica based on a Vauxhall Lotus, so 1990s single seater. Sort of looked like a bit like an F3 car at the time, but it was bit less power two litre red top engine yeah for car nuts out there you mm-hmm. know that great engine yeah. <laughs> um so it's one of those so that was the chassis we put a, a very good replica of bodywork over the top of it so I, I was to do this run i had a massive light in my eyes and this rain tower on and the spray and everything else like that and it's dark mm. so basically you could see bugger all so i'm driving flat out against the pit wall and it's a scene of the guys lifting the pit sign over the drivers as they yep. go underneath and i'm being squeezed into the wall by another car as well so i had no maneuver well unfortunately and it's the only incident we actually proper incident we had was that before we went out there one of the camera guys put a cone on the track to mark where the shot would be uh, and left set and forgot to take the cone with him uh, so and we hadn't cleared the set properly and this never happened again after that it was a good wake-up call for everybody yeah. so from a safety point of view it was great so drove along and then I saw the cone and I had a choice of either sticking it in the wall or sticking it in the car next to me and us both having a big shunt or just hitting the cone. Mm. I thought, well, I'm going to have to hit the cone. So it's not a big deal. You know, you're doing whatever, 70, 80 miles an hour, I'm going to hit a cone. No, no big deal. Anyway, smashed the nose cone of the car and everything else of like that. But it's fine. It's a replica. It's no problem. So I was like, great. You know, and they said, are you okay? And I said, yeah. And they went, well, we're really sorry. The cone was in the way. You know, it won't happen again. Yeah, yeah. And the guys came over from the mechanics team and they came over and I said, like, I'm lucky it was just the Raptor car, not the real one. And yeah. I went, yeah, slight issue with that. And I went, what do you mean? Like, we had to take the real nose cone off the no, real car. No. Because it didn't quite, the replica wasn't quite right. So we put the real James Hunt nose cone on. Oh, <laughs> oh no. You're kidding me. 
So I could have died at that moment. But luckily, it was just the main plane. It was a bit of aluminium, and it was fixed the next day. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so... That's my one of my rush stories. Oh, no, wow. that's mega. I thought I thought you were going to say I wrote the car off and then I found out it was the actual. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think you can mistake a Vauxhall Lotus for no, a true for a yeah, McLaren F1. Wow. Car. But I, I did have another moment as well, which is a, a slightly different story of meeting Chris Hemsworth. Mm-hmm. So I met him in the studio um, before we started filming because we had to do driver coaching with the actors and teach them how to yeah, of course be a racing driver and and even if they were doing stuff in a rig and not actually driving. Just stupid things like they would really overact it, yeah. mm. so they would be like tilting their heads and like turning and looking at the same time. I'm like, no, no, you look at the corner first, then you turn, yeah. you know, and all that kind of stuff. So I was taking them through it. So I spent a lot of time with them, with with both him and Daniel Brawl. And um, the first day I met them, we're in the studio, and it was a kind of meet and greet thing. But it was also a wardrobe test and a hair and makeup test. And at that point, I they told me that I was going to double for Chris because I was the same height and could do this stuff. So we walk into this room and there's hair and makeup stood there and it was me and Chris stood next to each other and they said to the makeup department, right, so you have to make Nikki look like Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> and I've never seen three people so disappointed in their shoulders <laughs> drop. <laughs> it was like, you know, trying to paint the Sistine Chapel again. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like, oh God. He, he walks out of his trailer looking like hot buttered toast (laughs) and then they're like right could you just uh could you just make that happen again please (laughs) and and you know even as a heterosexual male he's in a very attractive man he's a he's a a good looking guy yeah and you want to hate him but he's so lovely and he's so good and like oh god i wanted to hate him but he's actually really nice sure luckily they managed to caveat it by it's only his eyes have to look like it. So, ah, of so I had to wear blue contact lenses. I had to have my um, eyelashes dyed because he has darker eyelashes than me and like various things. So it's just basically when I was wearing the helmet, I yeah. had to look like him. Okay. And it was, it was pretty easily done um, until one day I went and played football after a day of filming and they'd forgotten to take my eyeliner off. <laughs> and I went, I was running around the pitch and then all of my teammates were looking at me like, are you okay? You seem to be wearing mascara. <laughs> I was like, yeah, about that. I, yeah. I can explain. You yeah. won't believe me. Exactly. But <laughs> here goes. I'm Chris Hasworth's double. And yeah. they're like, yeah, record. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm showing my age, isn't it? Um, so the next part was then the, the wardrobe department. We had to get replica race suits made and everything. So mm. we had to go into this room and get down to our pants. Perfect. I've never been so emasculated in my entire life. You look across at this Adonis of a man <laughs> who works out, trains, has a six-pack and everything, and then you pan to this pasty, tall... <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not overweight by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't have a six-pack. <laughs> I've got a keg, maybe. But not. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I, I really... Reminds if you want the your... very situation we're in now. <laughs> Weird. Well, you yeah, mean we... my six-pack now? <laughs> Um, so I'm, uh, yeah. I was, if you ever want to feel bad about yourself, stand next to Chris Hemsworth. Stand next to a, like a, an A-list uh, film yeah. superstar, basically. Yeah. But the thing is, I'm a better driver than him. So well, there you go. That's what matters. Yeah, yeah. And I taught him everything he knows. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that was my experience with Rush and uh, those guys, which was great, you know. And it was six months, well, nine months in total, because I was involved in post edit as well great um so uh, dan hartley who did the sound he actually won an award for the sound quality wow. and we spent weeks of me getting little emails with clips going does this match the revs is this the right car Brilliant. is this a dfe or is this the ferrari or is this that you know so we went through in a lot of detail as much as we could mm. we went through as much detail as we could to make it as good as we could and uh, and i think we did a solid job with what we had 
Yeah, that's, yeah. that's amazing. I mean, mm. again, we, we talked about this, didn't we, right at the beginning of this episode, about how seemingly it doesn't seem to be a big deal for a lot of productions to get really silly details that people like us and yeah. our listener would probably go, that's completely wrong. But to know that they've <coughs> taken on your expertise and said, you know, even to the point of sending through sound clips, that's, that's brilliant. <coughs> Sorry, I had to stick some water the wrong way. <laughs> that always happens. Always happens. Nicky's dying. Yeah, I'm dying now. <laughs> I've been talking to him like 14 hours of listening to my rubbish stories. <laughs> yeah, if you uh, if you've got this far in the uh, in the uh, in the episode, dear listener, we have actually been talking for six hours. And we've, uh, yeah. we've edited this down. No, I'm just checking. In fact, if you want it to end, just text stop to. Yeah. <laughs> so. So Rush is obviously, I was, is that, would you argue that was the thing that really put you on the map for films? I would, and it was the dawn of my company, yeah. effectively, because um, I was already at the stage where people wanted me. I was getting known in the industry. So mm. like I've said to you before, working on Top Gear and, and that kind of thing is people in the industry know who does what, and they, yeah. they wanted me to do various commercials and various other things. And eventually your diary starts to fill up, and you're like, I can't do all these jobs. Mm. I need to clone myself or find somebody to, to do this work. And that's why I started up Driving Wizards, which is my company now. So I supply drivers to productions for film and TV and car commercials and all that kind of stuff. So they're, they're pre-approved. They're of a standard. They know what they're doing. Mm. Um, and I thought that gives people a bit of a guarantee because, as I mentioned at the start, if you've got this far, let's know, you know, that um, basically there was no legislation for what we were doing. You know, it was like we need a professional driver, but there was no standard to it. I mean, you could turn up with a driving license and be a professional driver, really, yeah, that's really yeah. true. with very little experience. And it would go on word of mouth. So I, I wanted to kind of make a bit of a standard and, and build a brand around it, mm-hmm. you know, and give some someone somewhere to go and find a proper driver that they can trust. So Driving Wizards was born and the name came out was actually my girlfriend's dad at the time, he suggested it to me because I was trying to come up with all these creative names, you know, precision drivers and this, that and the other. And he was like, why don't you just call it Driving Wizards because you're kind of like driving and you make magic for telly. And I was like, that's a stupid name. I mean, (laughs) ridiculous. And then I was driving to work every day for two weeks thinking of different names and I couldn't get Driving Wizards out of my head. And I thought, well, actually, it's such a stupid name that people remember it. That's it. And, And so it stuck. So that's why we got our name from it. But... Essentially, that meant that I could employ other drivers to take over. And that's when it came handy and rush because we needed to supply the doubles for um, for, for most of the cars, basically, mm, yeah. for all of the cars, really. So some of the cars were being driven by their owners because uh, we had the originals as well. Um, at one point, we had it was the first time all of the cars from the original 76 season were on the same grid, oh, wow. particularly the two six-wheel Tyrrells because... One was in America for a long time. Yeah. And the two of them hadn't been together since 1977. Wow. So, and we had them all fired up, <laughs> running on the grid. Awesome. It was amazing. It was the most incredible experience and very, again, honored and, and lucky to be a part of that because it was great. Mm. I mean, it was phenomenal. And, um, but basically, it, we, we ended up supplying the drivers for that movie, um, and which is the dawn really of the success of, well, hopefully, success of Driving Wizards. So that's how that came about. Love it's it. amazing, isn't it? Like how that I love those I love those stories of uh, you know conception really. And then so rush so rush obviously goes really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, as far as I'm aware, you had a lot to do with the Olympics as well. Yes. Yeah. So this is another crazy one. So here's the clangers for you. Oh, wow. <laughs> so uh, 
essentially we did a lot on it. I was originally brought in to be a, a, a kind of advisor for the, some of the car stuff that they were going to do. Yeah. So they were going to do this uh, for the closing ceremony at the Olympics. So we we're going to have this traffic jam at the start. It's all volunteer drivers, um, you know, people giving up their own time to rehearse this sequence. Mm-hmm. And they just wanted somebody who knew about cars and how it all worked and everything to help them out with it. Yeah. Anyway, it ended up being a bit of a like cluster bomb of problems so they needed me to then choreograph it and make it all work and and train these people and we took three months down in wow dagenham <laughs> teaching these people how to to because it was very heavily choreographed and yeah. the timing had to be perfect and on the back of that i got involved in some other stuff so with the um kaiser chiefs on the back of um some scooters mopeds and then we had some other cars doing other stuff and and, and they just needed somebody to oversee it and I was about a month or two into it, and then they called me in for a meeting, and it was a highly, highly, highly classified meeting at the time. And I'm like, okay, right, what's this rubbish about? You know, it's going to be a health and safety thing. We all have to wear high-vis on set or something. And it was like, right, you can't tell anyone, NDA'd up, uh, but the Spice Girls are reforming for this. And I'm like, oh, right, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to have them on London taxis. Of I was course. like, okay, great. And they're going to be standing on the roof. <laughs> I'm like... What? So, <laughs> so the Spice Girls are going to rejoin, and then we're going to kill them, basically. <laughs> so, um, <At> so last. <laughs> yeah. I'm joking. Well, for the record, yeah. that was Miles's opinion. Yeah, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> I mean, where we drive to survive wouldn't be the same without Jerry. It, it would not. So, um, so anyway, we get the we get this thing, and we have to choreograph this stuff, and we put it all together. And I had just to liaise with their PA or their agent in LA. And and it was a very to and fro thing. Basically, they they were like, um, "There's too much car choreography in it. It needs to be more about the girls." And then, of course, because of course, I'm going to put car choreography in it. And then it was like they have to be able to go all the way around the whole stadium. And we were working out the timing of it, and we we're like, "We're going to have to do about 45, 50 miles an hour with them on the roof Whoa. around the stadium for them to get all the way around within the time <laughs> sequence that they wanted to do it." So there's a lot of to and fro. Still haven't met the girls at this point. Still don't have any London taxis at this point. Um, so we, we're kind of practicing with golf carts and trying to make it work, which obviously aren't the same speed and all that kind of stuff. So eventually we get the taxis and they turn up and they've got all these LEDs all over them. So I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. It was really fancy. Yeah. So I was like, this is great. And uh, we were about to rehearse with them. So they said, right, we'll wheel them outside. And But because it's down them, it rained. And I get a radio call going, get the taxis undercover now, get them undercover. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And they're like, get them undercover. They're not waterproof. So I think, I think there was... There was about 100 grand's worth of kit on these cars, and it would actually short out if they got wet. Oh, wow. Okay, let me get this straight, right? So we're doing this live in a football stadium or Olympic stadium in London in British summer, which is likely to be raining. Yeah. And these things aren't waterproof. What are you thinking? Mm. Like, this is is, what happens if it rains? And they were like, well, we won't turn it on. So you're just going to get these stupid black taxis with bubbles all over them just going around. Anyway, that's the way they wanted to do it, so that's fine. So we couldn't rehearse with the taxis on that day. So then we get the Spice Girls come in, and it's their day to rehearse. We literally had one day to rehearse with them. And all we did was made sure that they were happy going at the speed that we had them going out on the roof. So we got them in heels, got them out there, whizzed them round. Are you okay with this? And we'd incrementally go a bit faster and go, how's this? And they'd be like, okay, mm. a bit more, okay. And you I know. assume there was like a bit like you see on the, the top of biplanes, you get that. You know, the, the wing walkers that have like a metal prong that they're That's right, clipped yeah. onto. You, yeah. you had something like that. So we I, had a, we had a frame behind them so that they couldn't fall backwards, but they weren't clipped on because they oh, couldn't wow. be because they they there wasn't enough 
I mean, health and safety's changed. Yeah, this is the thing. Like, I'm so, just... so they would walk up and then hold onto a rail. Got it. Bloody but the, hell. If you notice, there's a rail behind them as well. So, But, yeah, I mean, Mad. who ensures that? I yeah. don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah. But eventually we get to a point where we're okay. But we still haven't done the full choreography with the girls. Then there was supposed to be another time we were supposed to do it. That didn't work out. They couldn't come. Then the weather was bad and everything else like that. Basically, we had no rehearsal until the night. So there I am, end of the Olympics, going through, you know, who's there. You've got the late George Michael playing. You've got um, Annie Lennox. You've got all of the cool stuff. You know, Fatboy Slim was doing a big set and everything. It was a really, really great night. Amazing. But then it was my my part. And because uh, I'd choreographed it and everything else that, they wanted me to show call it. Mm. Now, show calling is the person that all of the performers hear in their ear, yeah. in their little earpiece. Um, to tell them about timings and what to do and when. It's basically a director in their ear, um, which is kind of a big deal on a night like that. So we, uh, I think we had a billion people watching it live. Wow. <laughs> worldwide at the time. And it was a big deal, the Spice Girls coming God, back. Yeah. Yeah. So they come out and I'm watching this and my guys are driving there and they were great guys. Tim was one of them. We got Tommy Erdos, who was a great racer driver. He was in one of the other ones and Jamie Wall. And they're all great, great guys. Um, and Charlie Butler Henderson, you know, and Andre is the other one. So those are the guys driving the cars. And I'm there. It's all kicking off. Like, most of the show's gone wrong already, which nobody would ever know. But the director was having a, a bit of a, a moment <laughs> with everyone. So he said, don't get this wrong. <laughs> he used different words, but he said that. <laughs> um, so the pressure was on. Yeah. And I'd never show called before. The guys hadn't rehearsed it. The girls hadn't rehearsed it. It was like, by the seat of your pants stuff. <laughs> And it's a billion people watching. What could go wrong? So anyway, we do it. We get it worked out. Tommy's car starts breaking down. Oh. So you'll actually notice one of the cars. If you watch it again, I'm not advising watch the whole show again, but if you watch it again, one of the taxis arrives a little bit later than all the others. Um, but the, the other guys compensate, so they slow down. And that's where you get amazing teamwork. Yes. If you've got the right people, they all saw that he was struggling to keep the speed up. So they slowed their speed down so it didn't look as obvious. Mm. And then we worked around it. But then you see that shot of them belting around. And the girls are literally hanging on. And I'm in their <laughs> ear telling them, hang on for dear life, because yeah. we're going to have to make a bit of time up. Oh, wow. Well, because they have to get to that high C, yeah, at the end. I'm not a singer. Um, they had to get to that point at the end. And they all had to be at the mark when that happened. Mm -hmm. So you know what it's like if you're late for yeah, work. Yeah. You're like, I've got to make up you know, a minute. <laughs> yeah. You know, by driving flat out. So we had to go faster than they'd been before with them hanging on. And um, yeah, so eventually we got to that and, and, and we get to the end moment. The guys lined up perfectly. They did the high CR, the fireworks go off and everything else like that. And I can honestly say it was the proudest moment of my career. Brilliant. And I wasn't even driving. It was my guys out there doing their job. Yeah. They, they, they winged it as much as we all winged it. And, and you know, it worked. Nobody died. Nobody had any problems. <laughs> and I, I stepped away from it. And I, and I literally mic dropped. And it was one of those things where I just walked away. Director gave me a pat on the back and said, right, you've saved it. You smashed nice. it. Well done. And I walked out. And there was a load of snacks on the back. And I hadn't eaten all day. And I just swiped the whole lot. <laughs> <off. laughs> I'll see you in an hour. I'm going for a drink. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, yeah. awesome. Brilliant. So that's the Olympics. Yeah. So that was one but of them. Wasn't there... Somebody was telling me... I haven't seen this for myself, but... Presumably a driver you didn't supply. Yeah. A, Roll, a Rolls Royce, was it? Yes. That went slightly past its mark? It fell off the... Well, it didn't fall off. It nearly fell off the stage and pushed a dancer off the stage. Oh, <laughs> now you've yeah. mentioned everyone's this. Gonna, this everyone's going to go scrolling to yeah, yeah, yeah. YouTube now. So, so, yeah, it was... Um, 
yeah, Rolls Royce supplied not their own drivers. I think they were staff members. Maybe yeah. I don't want to drop anyone in. No. But yeah, no. Um, the, we rehearsed it because you've got to remember we we had a full scale set built in Dagenham in the old Ford car park, basically where oh, all the Ford cars. Save that. Yeah. And and it rained every day. Of course. And now I know why all of the eighties and nineties Fords rusted because they started <laughs> life in water. Yeah, sat outside yeah, for exactly. six weeks, getting yeah. soaked. Yeah. So. Um, so we learned that place very well, but we had a full stage there. But we were practicing in daylight hours because it, they were all volunteers, so people giving up their time. Mm. They weren't getting paid to do it. It was just for the being in the show. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Um, so we had these guys, and the Rolls-Royce guys were all like, they had these special 2012 anniversary Rolls-Royce with special badges on them and everything else that. Uh, and they were rehearsing. They were like, yeah, no, fine, I've got this. Yes, no problem. And it was like, yeah, but you're going to be doing it in the dark on the night. So mm. you really have to find markers that you can... Remember when it's night time? Yeah, no, it'll be fine. And of course, on the night, it was dark and he nearly drove off the side of the stage. <laughs> Excellent. Lovely yeah. work. But yeah, that wasn't anything to do with me. So, Brilliant. I'll caveat Saved. That. Yes. <laughs> Massively saved. That's awesome. So, oh. so Olympics, obviously, that's, that's a pretty big deal. But then, yeah. like, getting into the really big Hollywood stuff now, like Transformers. Yeah. That's got to be a whole different kettle of fish. Absolutely. Um, you know, Michael Bay is of law unto himself and it, he's brilliant he's great to work with but an absolute nutter and um yeah we had to we were driving what was called the trf cars and i'm in a db11 as well actually is, is in the movie and it was great we had to do this close driving to it you know like the black suvs all in a line yeah. you know weaving yeah. in and out of traffic that's basically what we were doing mm. um for a lot of it and avoiding crashing into things and stuff and i'm telling you now if you ever want an experience like the most amazing experience, but the most terrifying experience is work with Michael Bay on a car chase. <laughs> because he will only tell you 50% of what you need to know. Brilliant. So he'll be like, yeah, you just drive down here at like 70 mile an hour, 100 mile an hour, and then drive up on the curb and then, you know, drift around this corner. And everything. What he doesn't tell you is that he's then going to go throw a load of extras in there. <laughs> like a taxi is going to come from the right hand side who's unaware of you as well. Awesome. And you've just got to all avoid each other because he likes that kind of chaos anyway. Okay. So I was going to say, yeah. is, is it orchestrated chaos? Oh, yeah. yeah. Or, okay. Fine. Yeah. Because he doesn't he, he likes it to be a surprise so he gets genuine fear and shock out of everyone <laughs> it's a dangerous way to work but it's also brilliant <laughs> yeah. and exciting at the same time yeah. um but yeah we we had some fun moments in that one uh, i think um you know in, in particular we <laughs> you know we, we were driving along uh the mall at buckingham palace kind of down to admiralty arch and we were in there and uh, we had the Lamborghini, is it Centro? I can't remember what it's oh, called, that thing. Um, it was a one-off thing, I think. Oh, my brains. Yeah, it's something like a cent- Centenario? Centenario? I think it's called that. Something We've got like listeners it. going absolutely yeah, berserk yeah. now. Going, no, you idiots! Yeah. You're supposed to be car people, you're Centena- supposed to know. Centenario, yeah. I think. I'm going to go with you, what you're saying. <laughs> that because, sounds right. Yeah. Sounds Italian. I'm saying it with I'm saying it with shoulders raised and arms going. <laughs> yeah. It was a yellow and black thing. Yeah. It was a Lambo. It was basically an Aventador, but a bit flashier. Yeah, yeah. Um and he was just like, Yeah, we're gonna drive it down there. And they were like, you know, you know, you've got to be careful. I mean, Queen's there and things like <laughs> We ended up taking this thing down the mall at about 130 miles. Wow, an hour. oh my god. And it was a shot that he didn't even need. And it's actually in the movie, and it has absolutely no relevance to the story. The car's not even supposed to be there. <laughs> when you watch the movie, it's in the trailer. It's in the. <laughs> it's just because he wanted to drive a Lamborghini at 130 miles an hour towards Buckingham Palace. <laughs> just because. <laughs> yeah, just because. You know, why not? And Fantastic. things explode all over the place, and, yeah, it was insane. But the, the movie I did before that was more interesting because we did Kingsman. Mm. And Kingsman, 
because that came off straight off the back of the Olympics. We went straight into Kingsman. Yeah. And I was driving the police car in Kingsman that's chasing the yellow Subaru, uh, which is going in reverse. Yes. Yep. And everybody, I'm going to ruin it for a few people. So the car's not actually going in reverse. They took the body off the chassis, turned it around and no put it back way. down again. So the engine's in the boot and the rear wheels are actually steering it. It's, it's basically, so cool. Yeah. Ah. It's just, they just turn the body around on the chassis. Ah. Yeah. Didn't know that. Yeah. Now you do. Now you do. Sorry for all of the few listeners at home. I was going yeah. to say viewers. <laughs> viewers. If you can see that. this, you don't want to see it. Miles <laughs> is still in his pants. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we had this this yellow Subaru, and you kind of go, Matthew Vaughan, great director. He did Kick-Ass and all that layer cake before that, and, he, mm. you know, really up and coming and dynamic. But nobody's going to believe that this Subaru Impreza is reversing in a police chase all the way through London. No. You know, with this police car, which was horrendous, that car. It was a Hyundai i60 blue thing. Nothing against Hyundai's. Great cars. Brilliant. But this thing couldn't pull the skin off a rice pudding. <laughs> and I'm up against a proper WRX Subaru engine. <laughs> so to get it up to speed was quite... We had to do some clever jiggery-pokery where I actually got up to speed first and then he'd overtake me and drop in so that we could be millimetres away from each other. Otherwise, if he had just accelerated, mm. I couldn't catch up to him again. So anyway, we do this sequence, but we were just on set going, nobody's ever going to believe this. It's just insane. Like at some point it's got to spin around the right way and then the chase continues. No, no, it's reversed the whole way through. And I was like, okay, well, tell me a bit more about this film that we're working on. And they go, well, Colin Firth kills 80 people in the church. And you're like, well, Mr. Darcy kills 80 people. Because <laughs> he'd never done anything like this before. No. So you're like, you know, the guy out of Love Actually, or, you know, whatever, yeah, all, the, yeah. all those kind of love films. Yeah, he, yeah. He, Kills people with his bare hands and a you know gun in a fight and everything. Yeah. And you go, oh, right, what other characters are in it? And you go, well, we've got Samuel L. Jackson, he's the baddie. And you're like, oh, okay, you know. But he's got a lisp. And you're like, what? <laughs> you <know? laughs> and, and, and you kind of, you, you, they told us the story in the background of it all, and you're just like, this just sounds insane. Yeah. Like nobody's, and even on set, you know, you're working with people and you're just going, well, anyway, another day on this Kingsman movie, you know, it's mm. going to be rubbish, this thing, you know. Doing handbrake turns and round roundabouts and all that kind of stuff, and then um, you know you get paid. Doesn't matter. It's great. You know, go to the cinema, sit there with your popcorn, go. Can't wait to watch this cluster you yeah. know, <laughs> of a movie. Great, uh, awesome yeah. movie. Yeah, great movie. Yeah. So we're all sat there going, well, that teaches you a lesson is that you can work on something, and you're sitting there going, this is rubbish, this yeah. is rubbish, yeah. and actually it turns out to be brilliant. And vice versa, where you can work on something. I've worked on stuff that I've gone, this is awesome. Mm. Can't wait for people to see this. And then either because the story isn't good or the acting isn't good or the edit isn't good, yes. you know, and then you watch it and you're like, this is utter drivel. So it, what it teaches you about it, and this is a serious message. I feel like this is therapy for everyone. The serious message is, again, just pursue what you love doing and enjoy doing it, but don't judge it on whether it's going to be good or not. It's down sure. to other people mm. and, and, and certainly in the film industry. You know, if it take, gets traction, you know, it could be a brilliant thing, which luckily it was. So we had a great time in the end. And who else was on that shoot with you? Uh, so Tim was on that with me Tim as well. Yeah, he was on that. Um, there's a, a few of the other lads as well um, that no longer work for driving business. But, but yeah, there's Andre and a few others. I think, uh, yeah, there was, there was a couple of... A good crew. Yeah, it was a good crew. A strong crew. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, and then, yeah, we, we kind of move on to... The Mission Impossibles and yeah. those kind of movies where working with my friend TC. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tom. So the, the first time I met him was in the desert in Morocco. And he came over and um, 
you know, it's 5.30 in the morning or something stupid, you know, too early, as always in the film industry. He comes over and it's first day of filming. He's like, hey, guys, great. You know, great that you're here and everything. We're going to make an awesome movie. You know, you're doing a great job. <laughs> I'm sitting in my head going, we haven't even started yet. So how do you know we're doing a good job? <laughs> he's like, no, no, this is going to be awesome and it's great. And it's the sequence where he's on the motorbike riding through the traffic in Morocco. Yeah. Uh, chasing down, you know, or being chased actually by the guys. So, and, and I'm in one of the cars on the motorway that he weaves in and out. So, um, so it's great, you know, sequence to, for my first Tom Cruise film. But he comes around and then he high fives all of us. Brilliant. Right. Because he, he's got great enthusiasm. Yeah. He's a workaholic. He's a great guy. But he's definitely insane. <laughs> so, but, but he comes around and he high fives me. And I'm just sat there like a kid going, I've just high fived Maverick. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the first and only time I've had that moment with him where you go, okay, you know, now he's my work colleague and everything else. Yeah. Like, and he genuinely is the hardest working guy i know mm. like we we worked on that um you know he was riding that bike in the desert it was wearing just a shirt and short i mean he didn't wear any body armor or helmet mm. or anything again insane yeah like you you spoke to various people about the safety in our industry but then you go to this other extreme where you've got tom who's basically a stuntman mm. that can act <laughs> essentially yeah. and i think he's very underrated for that because you know, we I've done scenes in Paris when we did Fallout. He's driving that M5 BMW, which is a beautiful car, by the way. Mm. And I so wanted that car at the end of that film, but it was battered. I mean, it got there were some cool scenes as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, cool it was scenes. great driving. I mean, again, you know, like your mum asks you, she goes, "What bit are you in?" And I'm like, "I'm in that bit, that bit, that bit." And that, <laughs> yeah. how can you be in like five different cars in the same sequence? You like because it's all shot in different yeah, times. But, yeah. but anyway, he's driving this M5 and it's brilliant, and he's driving through quite narrow streets. And he's drifting it and doing stuff like that, which is fine. I can do that. And he's doing it with these massive cameras on the bonnet. So there's three cameras on the bonnet. So your visibility is pretty poor. Yeah. So you can't see where you're going. I can do that. You know, and he's doing all this stuff. But on top of all that, he's acting and doing lines. Yeah. That I can't do. And, you know, putting that emotion... Because, like, you would basically be tilting your head trying to see around the cameras to see where the corner is, know when to pull the handbrake and slide it around. But he's not doing that at all. He's kind of like... I mean, whether he just guesses, I don't know, but he's driving. And I mean, he is really driving that car. Yeah. But he's acting at the same time, you know, looking across at the actor and doing that stuff. That's crazy. Yeah. I think because so many of us now, as film fans, we have taken more of a vested interest. And I think because of the, um, the production companies, desire to show a lot of behind the scenes footage we mm. all now see how a lot of driving scenes are done with uh, for example like cars on a dolly mm. where the actual you know, a matter of fact is that the people in the car aren't giving any input about the way the car's driving because they're just essentially on a very low trailer aren't they yeah. being driven along and i think it could be so easy now we've all seen those clips with our favorite or like blooper scenes even on youtube yeah. where we've noticed oh i see the cars on a trailer that's why they're laughing and not having to steer so then we watch scenes like that and think, well, it's clearly got to be just on a trailer, isn't he? That's that's what it is. But no, he actually really does. Tom does love genuinely driving the car. He can drive in the same way that he's very happy to hang onto the side of a yeah. A400M taking <laughs> off. And you're like, <laughs> what's going on here? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, he's brilliant to work with. And, uh, you know, you live in constant fear. So <laughs> I've, I've done two T-bones with him. So I do the T-bone with the motorbike um, where he falls off the motorbike. Now, that's actually on a rig so that we can get the timing right because mm-hmm. obviously you don't want to be too early or too late <laughs> on something like that. So we're on a rig, but I'm basically a, a muppet in the car that has to break the car so that it doesn't overshoot and doesn't mm. bounce or anything else like that. And, and 
Tom even came up to me on that and he said, look, uh, yeah, we're like that, Tom. He calls me Nick. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he comes over to me and he goes, you know, can you look at me when I'm coming? It's like in shock, kind of like, but so we can make eye contact with each other. And I said, well, the camera's not really going to see that. He goes, no, but it will help my performance because I'll do that wit round and look of shock. So it helps my performance. Wow. And yeah. you go to that level of detail is quite insane. Yeah. But the whole time he, he does these things. He's hit me with a truck before, which is quite <laughs> funny when he wasn't meant to. It wasn't a, it wasn't an accident as such. It was a bit of equipment went wrong and he couldn't get the angle right. So just to make the scene look cool, he hit me with a truck. Nice. Um, and also I had to do a scene where I was driving right on his rear wheel and he was on a motorbike and I was in a car. Oh, wow. And I said, whatever you do, don't roll off the throttle because I don't want to be the guy who's known to have killed Tom Cruise. Yeah. And, that, and that's the thing is when you're around him, like you're going to be involved in a stunt. Mm-hmm. Something's going to happen, and he knows how to work it and how to work the camera. But you don't want to be that guy. No, because <laughs> I'm the one that hurt you, like got him hurt or anything else like that. So you're always on edge around him. Yeah, but great, you know. Again, it's not. It's never boring. No, no, you know? absolutely. There must be. I mean, you say there. There's a couple of things that have gone wrong. Thinking about the nose cone hitting the cone mm. on the track. There must have been one or two things that perhaps haven't quite gone to plan in over the years yeah i mean <laughs> yes and no i mean again it's 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 really difficult to explain it because the accidents happen they're called mm. accidents for a reason but we do so much to mitigate that sure and there's so much planning that goes into it and so much detail um that i've not really encountered you know i, I crashed a porsche on a, a Top Gear uh, DVD once mm-hmm. at Ascari, um, where I, it just basically got out of shape and then it snapped on me and I hit the wall. But I didn't do much that da- I damaged a, a quarter panel on it, which is, of course, to a listener who's going, but that's a £120,000 car. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. yeah, but in the grand scheme of things, it was yeah. repairable. It yeah. wasn't like it was written off or anything else like that. Um, we had a, a couple of crashes on Transformers, uh, but mainly because of Michael Bay going, just get in there and hit him, you know, and stuff like that. <laughs> so, a lot of the crashes are deliberate. Yeah. Um, a lot of them. So, for instance, where I said the bit of technical equipment went wrong with, with Tom's truck, he was supposed to spin the truck round. He was supposed to hit me on the other side of the car and just scrape along. But because it didn't spin enough, he had to come at me from the other angle, which meant that he, he kind of hit me a bit harder on the driver's side of the car. So there's little things like that that happened. But I'm very lucky, that I'm, and I'm going to have to touch the table here, touch the wood, yeah. that, <laughs> that we've never had anything particularly bad. I mean, a good example, I've had it happen to other people. Um, so a good example is the current episode on on um, Amazon Prime of uh, Scandi Flick, which yes. is a Grand Tour episode. Yes. So we were involved heavily in the tunnel sequence on that. So I actually tested those cars on those tyres in right. that environment and made sure that everything was safe and that we had a, a kind of like moment of no return kind of thing and we had an escape route and all that kind of stuff so we went through all of that so i can honestly say we went through a lot of safety on that to yeah. make sure it was all okay and the one i was actually worried about was jeremy because he was in the heaviest and the fastest car uh-huh. so that that audi was took a long time to stop mm. um and obviously the abs is kicking in because they're on studded tires all that kind of stuff so i was actually worried about him and then of course we worried about hammond because he crashes everything <laughs> And again, you know, I was I was there for the Rimac crash. I was actually in the, in that mountain in Sweden, yeah. in Switzerland. Sorry. So, um, so I've been there when other things have happened to other people. Sure. But the, the the more relevant one at the moment is the tunnel one. So James gets in, and you're like, yeah, James will be fine. I don't know why. 
But he took off like a man possessed. Just got it on him that day. He, he did. And all of us are there. And then, of course, I'm at the entrance to the tunnel, so I don't actually see it because it's mm. way off. Yeah. And you sort of hear the crash, crash. He's cra- and you're like, what? And, you know, we look at the footage, and I'm and I'm starting to get sweats on now because I'm looking at the footage, and he braked at the right, or more or less the right point, a little bit late, but there was a, a tolerance there as well. Yeah. And I was like, what did he hit? And he hit the end of the wall. And I'm like, yeah. but there's an escape road if they didn't think they were going to make it. So he didn't even make that turn. So I'm like worried about it. I'm watching the footage and I'm going through it all thinking, oh, you know, has the brakes failed or has something gone wrong? Or, you know, have we got it wrong? Did all the testing wrong? You know, absolutely worried. Anyway, I spoke to James. He was in hospital. I spoke to him on the phone. And I said, you know, what happened? Because I sort of watched the footage and you look like you braked at the right point. He went, yeah, no, I just didn't break enough. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. oh, he was worried about locking up. I said, the thing's got ABS anyway. Yeah. But I said, I was worried about locking up, so I just didn't brake hard enough. So I said, so you left yourself with no option than to brake too late. Because if you don't brake hard initially. Yeah. And he goes, I, he goes, I don't know what came over me. I just didn't listen to what you'd told me. But I had told him that if it looks like it's going to go wrong, pull the handbrake and go off to a road yes. off to the left. I said, because you'll need the handbrake just to make that turn. So he pulled the handbrake at the last, obviously way too late. Yeah. yeah. Pulled the handbrake and went in sideways, which actually saved him. That's right. Because yeah. if he'd gone in head on, that would have been a hell of a smash. That's um, amazing to me. It looked violent as it was. Oh, yeah. I mean, I so only a few weeks ago, talking to Brian Klein on the podcast, we talked about this because we, we mentioned the fact that, of course, the current season of Top Gear come mm. to an end because there's been a, an incident. No need to go into details on that. Everyone knows. Um, but we talked about the fact that you know things can go wrong. You, you can yeah. put as much prep and planning into things and still go, things still go wrong. And Brian mentioned that that incident and and of course I think you'd like your reaction there, Miles. When I watched it for the first time, I had no idea it was coming. Yeah. I hadn't heard any promotion about yeah. the Scandi flick film involving a crash. I just had no idea. Usually, whenever there's a crash, there's a headline about it because it makes people watch it. So I'm that sat I sat with a friend or sat watching it with. Uh, a good friend of mine, Dan, and the two of us are watching it. Oh, this is great, you know. Then the, the accident happened, and we were both like, oh, my God, because <laughs> yeah. it was so violent, the yeah. way that he yeah. was thrown in. But you're right, and you do see the car swerve and turn at the very last minute. Yeah. Brian Klein mentioned it and said, you know, they were told if it looks like it's going wrong, point it left, pull the handbrake, yeah. and that and that was your instruction. It was, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, so, the, um, and he apologised to me, James apologised to me, and I, was, I felt sorry for him because of it course, wasn't, yeah. you know, it was his stupidity, but you know you can't can't account for that. The only thing that we can say, saving grace, is because obviously of the location and the fact that it was going to happen there. If it was going to happen anywhere, the medic team were right there. The fire and ambulance were gotcha. right there. Yeah. So you know, within seconds, and you see it on camera. They show yeah, the yeah. live sort of version of it, where they just run straight up to him and make sure he's okay. I mean, I think there's a packet of. Um, no, a packet of beef hula hoops that nearly hit him in the face. <laughs> if you look at the footage that, carefully. That probably wasn't in the risk assessment. No. <laughs> well, I mean, we, you know, again, we went through so many permutations, yeah. you know, of what happens if this happens mm. and what if happens if this happens. And you kind of go through it all and try and mitigate it as much as you can. And then something like that happens and you're just like, oh, yeah. all right, there's nothing I can do. Because that's the th- I think a lot of people, me included, when you watch that scene, because there were no crash helmets, were there? I remember no, thinking, no. hang on, what, how has this happened? There's no crash helmet. Like it, clearly, this could have happened, but I guess it wasn't. It wasn't even a thought that anything of that nature could have happened. No, it just well, we worked out to the theory because we knew the braking distances of each car. So I tested them in the UK as well to make sure mm. before we went there. And then I spent two days in that tunnel working out where they needed to brake with a bit of leeway. 
because obviously they, you don't want them to hit the wall, but yeah. you want them to get as close to it. But also, you know, they're not going to break as hard as me. They're probably not going to accelerate as hard as me. So you're working out the math on it. So we had loads of different options of, of where we were going to have it until we finally came up with one which we tested to make sure that they would be okay. So they can do that. If they break a little bit late, they'll get closer to the wall, you know, and that stuff. But yeah, so so there's a lot of work goes into it, and this is the stuff that people doesn't don't see. Sorry, I don't hear about. Is that you know we're months and months and months of testing, planning, working, getting that stuff sorted to try and make it a as good as possible, and b as exciting as possible, but c as safe as possible, and that's the main priority. And and you know, can you cover everything? You can't. You know, you could drive out of this car park now and have a crash, couldn't you? So you can't. Yeah. You know, in your mind, it's safe because you do it every day, but actually you can't mitigate for everything so you just got to make it safe and make uh, sure that they're safe again and, and testament to the authenticity of the the show you know yeah. in that yeah. sense because it wasn't a choreographed crash either was it it wasn't mm. part of the script at all no no and james in particular and that's why we kept it quiet well, mm. i say we i didn't know much in keeping it quiet but the the production kept it quiet because he's the least one that you expect yes, to crash you absolutely know. Right. captain yeah. slow himself has actually gone too fast yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it was great for me because it was a massive relief a to find out that james was okay he was yeah. on his way to hospital yeah. but he was all right um and then richard still had his run to do and the comedy of him doing it at like eight miles an hour, I think he did it. But I was so relieved because he was, him and Jeremy were my two biggest worries. Jeremy's because yeah. I didn't think he'd stop in time. I mean, I knew he would, but he had to do everything right. Yeah. Um, while the Subaru and the Mitsubishi would stop quite comfortably before. That's why it was more of a shock because they yeah. should, you go on the distance of the heaviest, fastest car. Mm. So in theory, the Audi should have been the one that got super close to the wall. The other two should just stop well short. Yeah, um, and that all got yeah. thrown out the window. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there was talk about us doing it again, but we poo-pooed it because Jeremy was unhappy that there wasn't a proper result. And I said, I think you're fine. You did get a result. <laughs> it just it's wasn't the telly. one we wanted. It's good telling. <laughs> uh, I think more people are going to be uh, upset with the uh, discovery that they didn't just randomly find a tunnel and decide to arrange a race. Yeah, yeah, with yeah. this amazing lighting system. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, I, we, I was a bit nervous about bringing it up uh, initially, but like you said, it's now not really a secret that you have done. You've du- you've doubled for Jeremy for quite a, many years now. Yeah, yeah, and and it's it's something that you know Wilman would have mentioned as well. And, yeah, and and essentially it's a practical thing. It's um, yeah, basically from when I started on Top Gear. Um, luckily, I don't look anything like him. <laughs> but what what do you mean? <laughs> Uh, well he's yeah okay we won't even go there um so essentially what it is is because when you're filming you you have to be very specific with where you place the car so it's not a case that jeremy can't do all of these things but if you're doing a drifting shot and you guys have done car filming as well yeah it's a very tedious process you'll spend you know a lot of time trying to get that perfect drift shot but you need it to be in a certain range for the focus on the camera and everything else like that so jeremy hasn't got the time all the patients to do that mm. but equally he won't hit the same mark every time mm. for them to get it right as well so he would probably do a drift that's four foot away and then the next one will be two foot away and then the next one will be eight foot away so he'll do these amazing drifts with loads of smoke and everything else like that but he just won't be as precise yeah so it's a time thing it's basically means that he can go off and refine his script or do something else or do a piece of camera and then we can do the tedious part of the filming process so like i mentioned before about the fact that we go back and repeat some of the races that we do just to get mm. those additional shots 
Jeremy's not going to do that. No. You know, he's just spent His 16 hours better. driving across Japan. Yeah. He's not going to want to go all the way back and do it all again, but also on a slower, more tedious process of yeah. that. So it's a practical thing. No, yeah. that makes sense. That makes sense. So, so uh, my, if memory serves me correctly, Top Gear sadly comes to an abrupt end with at least the trio as we know it. Mm. And then this new magical show called The Grand Tour comes along. And presumably you... you follow suit yeah yeah basically it was it's the i think it's the only time probably in in business anyway where somebody gets sacked from a job (laughs) and then gets an even better job on more money and that's basically what amazon provided to jeremy and the crew you know and it's he he was very good about it actually him and wilman uh rang us up and said look you know don't worry we've got something in line we're talking to amazon they want to do a show. We're going to carry on and keep the family together, and that and it really is a family. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was just like, yeah, we want you on board, and we want to carry on. And the start of Grand Tour was amazing. You know, the the opening sequence. It was, was big, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah and it was just great. You know, and it was us having the freedom to do things that the BBC probably wouldn't let them do. Sure. Um, and it was. You know, a lot of people went, oh, yeah, they've got so much money now and it's going to be ridiculous and everything else like that. And to a certain extent, it was. But I was involved in building a track for us. So Jeremy really liked this location that we'd found um, and said, right, make a track here. You know, I want it to be good because we needed a new test track because obviously Dunsfold, the top gear track, yeah. couldn't use that anymore. Um, so we found this place and uh, and I built the Ebola drone. <laughs> um, and the Ebola drone was a great thing because... It's not particularly a great track, mm. and it was it was a bit awkward and everything else like that. But it was built out of necessity for the area. So you know when they said there's an unexploded bomb there, mm-hmm. that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so the the really awkward fiddly bit outside old lady's house that was because we couldn't <laughs> dig in certain areas to build that section. Wow. So it was kind of made because we couldn't go anywhere else. That's so cool. The, the old lady in the house, she used to stop us for filming sometimes because she'd have to go to the shops. Come so we, on. we'd be like drifting a Porsche or something through past her house. And then she'd be like, oh, can you just stop for a bit because I need to go to the shops. And like, we'd stop the whole production. She'd get in her little car and drive out and then that. head off and then come back later on and we'd have to stop again and let her in. Um, so, yeah, it was great, you know, we had a great time there. Um, there was a field of sheep, Drift Corner, or Your Name Here Corner. We called it Drift Corner, but it was called Your Name Here. Um, <laughs> when I originally put it in there, we made it too narrow, so we had to make it bigger so we could do bigger drifts there. Uh, constant fear of hitting a deer or a pheasant. <laughs> um, but I drove some amazing things around there, you know, oh, like yeah. the Vulcan, like the 720S, um, the EP9, you know, all these car geeks will know what those cars are. Oh, yeah, yeah. But they, you know, drove some amazing things around there. Um, and it was a really good time to be part of that show because, you know, I spent a day just setting times for the, uh, you know, for the American driver. So if you remember Mike, the original of driver. Of course, yeah. yeah. Um, so the gunslinger, as he was. Yes. Uh, yeah, so he was the original driver to do the lap times around there and they needed a benchmark. So I drove all of the cars for the benchmark table. So it was me and a producer and 10 cars, you know, oh. ranging from a Honda Civic Type R to a Ferrari 488 and, That's so cool. you know, and a McLaren. It makes know. it makes me wish that perhaps they'd rethought it and yeah, rather than had the American as the bench test, it could have just been slight rename nick from the office <laughs> yeah 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 you come yeah. out with just like a shirt on and just like okay i'll drive this one next yeah. <laughs> and nothing more than that it's just 
Nick from the office. Well, technically I was because uh, we did office car park racing. Yes, so I, I was that. I was yes. Steve in the BMW the E46 ah. M3, which was given wasn't, to us. Wasn't Joe one of them? At one yes. Point? So Joe, so one of my other drivers, Joe Hopkins, he was in the Cupra. Yeah. And I was in the E46 M3 that was from Munich Legends, actually. Uh-huh. So that car was really well set up. Nice. Yeah. A really lovely car. And we got all these extras in to be the office workers to wave and cheer us on doing this competition, right? So, um, and it was a bit of a drizzly day. And I think we filmed it near Flitwick or Luton kind of way yeah. in a business park there. So they hadn't seen us. They didn't know us. They thought we were actually having a proper office car park race. But I was really Steve from accounts and (laughs) Joe was really, you know, whatever he was from his business. So, of course, we do the first shot of it and it's a choreographed race. I'm sorry if I'm going to spoil it for everyone. It's a choreographed race. So, basically, I power past him on the straight, we come to the roundabout and then I drift the M3 all the way around the roundabout and take the finish line. These extras didn't know that we were professionals and we knew what we were doing. So, of course, I come hammering around, smoking, (laughs) drifting around this roundabout and... A woman fainted. No. no. One of the ex, because she thought she was going to die. Because, of course, they're just by the side of the road. <laughs> they were perfectly safe. There, uh, there was no way I was going to go anywhere near them. But she'd never seen anything like it yeah, before. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, this V8 flying around the corner with, you know, smoke pouring off That's it. That's like, so cool. On the lock stops. And I mean, I was probably. It was a good one. Yeah, it was a, <laughs> it was a good one. It was one of those ones that you tell your mates about. Yeah. And um, yeah, basically, she she fainted and she had to go away in an ambulance. That's unbelievable. So, where my, my stunt driving made a lady faint, which is. Yeah. <laughs> Get that on the scene. So I'm, writing, I I'm writing down specific notes here about things you're saying <laughs> to feature in the show notes. That's one of it. My. Stunt driving made a lady fight. I, I would like to say, if she is listening to this, I really apologise. I didn't mean to scare you. We hope you're still okay. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed and, the show. And you, I don't know whether some of the earlier shots, they look, people look a little bit stilted and a bit awkward. And as it goes on, they start to relax because they realise they're not going to get run over by one of us. So. <laughs> That's wild. Um, yeah. So so um, something that really stuck in my mind from uh, from that period was when the trio of cars, the the the... Uh, hypercars at the time, which was the mm. LaFerrari, the oh, Porsche the 918, Trinity. and the McLaren P1. Yeah. It was it was a big deal at the time, wasn't it, to get... There was a big story about never being able to get all those three cars mm. together, yeah. and then it happened. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, I think it just blew everyone's mind. But again, I've done a little bit of background research here. I'm told that the guys from Ferrari actually came to you for a bit of consultancy work after that shoot. Yes, yeah. Yeah, so I was involved in the uh, LaFerrari project anyway. Uh, so I went out to Fiorano and did a, a load of testing at their factory. Um, I actually was was there to help set up some suspension settings for them because uh, Kimi was racing for Ferrari when their car was being developed and he took the car out and spun it off several times, apparently. Ah. Well, it's rallying. He liked to be on the grass, didn't he? <laughs> so, um, and he was probably... No, I'm not going to say anything liable, sorry. <laughs> probably was. <laughs> yeah, probably was. Everyone knows, he probably was. Um, so yeah, so they had a few difficulties with the car and they wanted to make it easier to drift and do cool things with and stuff. Cool. So I, I got flown out very kindly by Ferrari to go and test the car and do some development work. I went through a four-hour briefing on how the hybrid system works and everything else like that, which actually was quite interesting, mm. but I didn't need the four-hour briefing. It was like... Literally, how do you turn the traction off, which is really easy on a Ferrari, thankfully. And that's it. That's all I needed to know. So I was, I was doing some setup work with it. We were doing tire pressures and damper settings and all that kind of camber caster things. And we got to a very happy level that we felt that the car was, you know, good to drive around. And I flew back home. So I got back on the flight and landed, 
my phone's going off as soon as I land. I'm like, oh, okay, who's this? Ferrari ring me again. They were like, yeah, can you, I'm not going to do the accent. They said, can you come back? And I'm like, okay, like when? And they said, now, like get on the next flight back. Oh, and I was wow. like, what do you mean? And they said, well, because we, we want to do some filming with it because it was so cool to see it. We want to do some filming. Awesome. So I went back out there and did some filming for them. Um, and people were coming out of the factory. And I think I got through about eight or 10 sets of rear of tires. Wow. And it was just such a cool time, yeah. you know, to, and, and no one else had driven the LaFerrari at that point. It was still a production car. And I, this is where you're leading to, because I was the first person to drive all three of those cars. Yes. Because we had the P1, which was P1 Oeuvre, which was yeah. the first one. Yeah. Uh, we had that for Top Gear, because uh, it was Top Gear then, wasn't it? When yes. we took it to Spa, we, we had it at Bruges and then up to Spa. So we were the first non-McLaren employees to drive that car, and I drove it before Jeremy did, so I was the first no, one. I and then uh, I was doing the development work with the LaFerrari team in their car, so I was the first one non-Ferrari employee to drive that car or non-test driver to drive that car. And then I drove the 918, and I was the third person. I think Chris Harris was the first. Mm-hmm. And I think I was the third person to drive it. But it made me the first. But he hadn't driven the P1 yet. And he hadn't driven. So I was the first one to drive all three, basically, is what I'm trying to get to. Wow. So I was quite proud of that moment. But then to have all three of them at Portimao, of all the tracks in the yeah. world as well, was a great thing. And we, I think it's the first time all three have been drifting together. So we've got a shot of all three of them drifting. And it's not a composite shot. It's for real. Because the McLaren had to be slightly ahead because the diff doesn't work very well in the P1. Uh, so it was only spinning one wheel. Yeah. And then I think it's the 918 and then me and the Ferrari behind. Because I could keep up with, you know, that thing could, because I'd set it up properly. Yeah. <laughs> could could keep up with them a lot more easily. So uh, I, I, I just remember that vividly. I remember yeah, that I film. Do. I remember mm. that film vividly, you know, um, as, as I'm sure a lot of people do. Yeah. And the sparks coming off the P1. Yeah. 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 That's yeah, right. that was, yeah it was it really was a big, big deal, wasn't it? Because yeah. you're right, Mars. There was a lot of, I think, Top Gear. It was still in Clarkson Hammond and May era, wasn't it? Yeah. That they were, and they planted. I think they came up with the the phrase "the Holy Trinity." Yes. I think it was a Top Gear term that that they invented mm. that then became this real thing, and it was who was going to do it first, who was going to be the outlet, the magazine, or the television show, or the YouTube channel that was going to get the three cars together for the first time. And I think somebody on the internet did do it first, but for on a grand scale of who everyone that's watching it it was yeah it was it was a race to get it there wasn't it yes and, yeah and um i've actually got at home the t-shirt that porsche gave to us and jeremy which says jennifer clarkson because if you remember <laughs> he said if the p1 doesn't win yes. you can call me jennifer clarkson oh, yeah. and blow my house up <laughs> and porsche when we next saw them, all turned up with some very limited edition. I will take offers on eBay <laughs> of a, a Gen- Jennifer Clarkson T-shirt with his face on it and the P1 and the uh, and the Porsche beating it. That's so um, so yeah, I've got that hidden in my drawer at home somewhere. They've got a um, good sense of humour, the guys at Vysak, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was great. It was really good to work on. And uh, obviously, the blowing up the house thing. Yes. So this is where Jeremy's a genius because he basically got Amazon to knock down his farmhouse that he was going to knock down anyway <laughs> and then he got amazon to pay for them to rebuild it to make a farming show <laughs> so yeah he's not daft is he he's no. not daft he's um, a genius <laughs> the uh i remember hearing because the little area where i now live 
is not a million miles away from the Cotswolds. You end up meeting people that live further into See, the Cotswolds. He gets paid too much money. I, I promise you I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I moved out of London for a good reason because <laughs> I couldn't afford it. I sold my £7 million one-bedroom <laughs> yeah. flat in Chelsea to come and buy. But yeah, the, uh, the Clarkson's house thing. Now, loads and loads and loads of people don't believe that that really happened. But it did really happen. Oh, yeah. And he got he probably blown up. He did it without telling the right people. And there were people in the local community that genuinely thought there had been a catastrophic natural disaster <laughs> because <laughs> a house exploded. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, there were people that were you know, phoning the police, phoning the armed forces, going, something's happened, a bomb's gone off. Um, but, yeah, that, that really did happen. And, it, again, it's just... Typical Clarkson's approach of let's do something and maybe not tell everyone exactly how it's going to pan out, but yeah. there you have it. Well, I mean, judging by Oxford Council, I think he probably would have got <laughs> banned anyway. So. I, think, I think so, yeah. <laughs> I can yeah. say that. My, my parents live in Oxfordshire, so I'm, I'm, I'm on board. <laughs> so, so that, I mean, the Grand Tour obviously sort of changed its, uh, its format, didn't it? And then mm. became mm. essentially just big, big, you know, big uh, specials, as it were. Yeah. Um, did that change? That presumably changed how you guys kind of operated. I assume absolutely. I mean, we when it changed a lot of things really because um, Amazon look at all the uh, viewing, so no matter what you're watching, mm. <laughs> they're watching you. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. it's obviously in an algorithm. So it's, it, they're not watching you personally. So you can still watch that show that you're not supposed to watch it late at night. But you can. Um, it shows when you pause, fast forward, and rewind. That's and right. they found that. Certain aspects of the show, mainly the tent part, right, people yeah. would fast forward through, yeah. um, and you know some people will watch the car reviews and some people won't. And and generally the big specials were the most popular thing. Mm. So for the boys to continue, and it's better for them as well because there's less days of filming for them. Yes, you know it's not like they need the money. Yeah, they're doing it for the love of it, really. So you know rather than spending half the year traveling around the world, getting jabbed up for malaria and God knows what else, you know they can actually stay in there farmhouse in the Cotswolds mm. do a few weeks of filming and you've got yourself a film uh, to show to the audience yeah. so so that format came into play but obviously that meant that we didn't have the test track anymore so the Ebola drone's gone um all of the ty- amount of time we spend filming we do a lot more prep work now mm. but we don't spend as much time filming but the biggest difference and the most gutting one is that we don't drive new cars anymore so we used to do new car reviews. Course, so things yeah. like when the new M5 competition came mm. out, we got to drive that. Mm. We got to drive all of the new, you know, Ferraris, Porsches, everything that came out. So you were up to speed with everything. Um, and it wasn't until earlier this year I got to drive a Yaris GR for the first time. I drove it on ice, which was great. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I'd heard so many people going, this thing's awesome and it's great and it's back to the harking back to the homologation rally cars and all that kind of stuff. And... People would always say, have you driven one? No, I haven't. Mm. I'm like, why not? Like, you drive everything. Because I'd been so used to driving everything. And then finally, I got the chance to drive one on an ice racing thing that I did. But but we don't do that anymore. So there's about 20 or 30 cars out there now that I'd like to drive mm. that I haven't been near because we're not reviewing them anymore. Yeah. So if anyone has cars out there, you know. I feel a collab coming <laughs> in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we having a conversation just before this recording about how I need some new test drivers. Mm. Oh, really? Huh. Mm. I can and give you, you some numbers. The road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want me. <laughs> yeah, Miles, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. That's so cool. That's so it cool. It is cool. Yeah, it is. It's, I mean... I, my go-to question usually at this point of the uh, the podcast is before we wrap up is like, what's next? But I 
assume that you probably can't say, can you? Well, I can tell you a little bit because by the time this goes out, so I've got a very big meeting with Netflix tomorrow, actually. Have you? Mm. So, because um, we're obviously media platforms now are all about Netflix, Apple TV, Amazon, yeah, all yeah. those kind of things. So, um, yeah, so that's that's the format we're at at the moment. But yeah, no, I'm having a, a, a I've done a lot of Netflix stuff uh, recently, so I've got another meeting with them. Uh, it won't be anything too exciting. So car people don't get super excited, but it will have car chases in it. It already sounds good. Yeah, no, it's not fast and furious. It's not slow and tedious. It's <laughs> kind of somewhere in between. Um, Very cool. Yeah, so so that's that's the next thing. And and for for me personally, um, is to progress my side of things. So I want to be uh, in a position where I can provide a film or a series or something like that. The all round ultimate car chase. Mm-hmm. I think Brilliant. if I if my long lasting legacy is, I want people to talk about one of the car chase sequences or one of the car sequences that I do, in the terms of you know, bullet or yeah, you know that's it because to this day you know when when did bullet come out? Nineteen sixty seven eight yeah round about then and it's still you know think of how many films have been made since that time yeah that have involved a car chase. And yet everyone, including people born in the new millennium, go, oh, like the bullet chase. Yeah. And it, it is amazing. It's the it? point of reference, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, it's like the M3. It's become the benchmark of comparison. Yeah. The bullet chase is now the, yeah. we want our car to be as good as the M3. So, so, so my legacy yeah. would be to, to get to that level. Brilliant. Can so, I be an extra um, that faints by the side of the road? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what, we'll do a bit of a deal. If something like that happens, I'll get you guys down. There we go. Yes. Yes. I, I haven't go. told you what you're going to be doing yet. <laughs> no. Like, where's my latte? Making the tea. <laughs> Making the tea. John, we've got you written down here as wheelie bin pusher four. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'll, I'll make you that. You heard it here first, wow. listeners. We've heard it here first. Yeah. Uh, it's it will ver- be... It's a verbal contract. We are recording it. Yep. We're recording it. It will forever lie on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all the <laughs> yeah, rest of it. Exactly. And to any producers and directors that are listening, yeah. um, get in touch. Get in touch. Um, I am Nikki's agent as of this point. <laughs> <laughs> all all oh, negotiations, no. please come oh, through me. Is that what you were printing off in the office just now? <laughs> I've, I've been spending so much time trying to get away from it. Miles will tell you, I don't answer my phone very often because I'm just, normally in a car. You are normally in a car, yes. So I don't like to speak when I'm driving on the phone. But actually, it's a complete lie. I'm just trying to get away from Miles because he keeps <laughs> calling me all the time. It's understandable. People, it's a natural reaction and I completely understand. <laughs> and yet you remain so positive about it. Yeah. It's the admirable thing. <laughs> yeah. Isn't he special? <laughs> yeah. Well I, well, I don't know about you, but I've I, this is quite self-indulgent for me because yeah. I have, uh, you know, just as much as you, Nicky, not, not been doing filming anywhere near as long as you. But I... Sorry, that sounded horrible. Yeah. All right. That was supposed to be a compliment. I mean, I would like to tell the listeners that I'm not old. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm painting I'm... a terrible picture of you here. Um, but I just find it so fascinating. Always have, yeah. always will do. Um, so it's great to lift the lid on an otherwise quite guarded secret of the industry, really. Yeah, and it's nice to be able to share some of it with people because... You know, like I said to you before, you don't want to ruin it for people and yeah. say, hey, you know, this bit is not real. Wee. But yeah. you kind of go, we're trying to make it as real as we can. So some of it is really, really good and some of it is not so good, but we're trying to make the not so good bits better. Yeah. Nice. It's hmm. really cool. And can I encourage the the listener very quickly mm-hmm. uh, to go and do a little bit of uh, research on the internet 
and it's a hard video to find, but you will find it. Search for, uh, I think Jalopnik put it up, and it's a shot of you, Nikki, drifting past the tracking car, yep. and Tim Marshall Rose driving the tracking car, and it looks like you are about to have an enormous accident. Obviously, yep. it's all perfectly in control, but it's a joust shot, yep. mm. so... Go and find it. It's the coolest. It's like 10 seconds of somebody filming in the back of the car, but it's probably the coolest 10-second video you'll ever watch. Yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah, it's high speed. It looked fast. Yeah, it's a Mugello. Uh, I'm in a DB11. Uh, Tim is driving the camera car, yeah. which is an Alfa Romeo 156. T-Spark for the real geeks out there. <laughs> um, yeah, no, we're, we're driving at each other at very high speed. And wow. it's quite a It's quite a thing, isn't it? It's awesome. So go, if you can find it, messages on uh or send us a link on um uh, on instagram or something and we'll, yeah. re- we'll repost it because it's very cool it is very cool yeah mm. definitely definitely last question my very last closing question we started our conversation talking about your racing career and your childhood brilliant childhood memory of cars going around for the formation lap at le mans and perhaps one day dreaming that that might be an opportunity now obviously you can pedal a car Obviously, you've got racing experience. That door is still open somewhere. Is that still a... Would you like to get back into a car? Would you like to get back into a competition and, have, you know... Have, I'm just, what a stupid question I'm asking. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> do I need to ask? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, but I, the reason I do ask is because I guess a lot of people would get to a point where they go, do you know what? No, I feel that boat has sailed and I'm not, you know, I, I'm happy I've lived the life I have. But for you, if the phone rings and it's somebody going, right, we've got a, a you know... LMP one car, mm. fancy fancy it? Absolutely, hundred yeah. percent. I dra- I was very lucky that I got to drive an LMP car yeah. uh, recently, and um, <laughs> I don't get I don't get very excited very often when driving certain cars because mm. people go, oh yeah, it's great, you know, you get to drive all these cars, it must be brilliant, and it is. Yeah, but it's kind of like eating chocolate when you work at a chocolate factory. Yeah, certain cars don't excite you anymore, and it sounds really horrible to say because some of them you would only dream of seeing, mm. never mind driving. But every now and again, something comes along and you're like, oh, get all giggly and a bit, you know, smiley. And the LMP car, when I drove that, and I turned into a corner, which in a GT3 car was third gear, and this thing was flat in fifth because of the aero. And I, I, I'm not going to lie, a little bit of wee excitement came out. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it just brought floods of memories of, um, you know, uh, single-seater racing cars with aero and, mm. and all that stuff. And I went, this is the nuts. This is what I want to do. Um, so, yeah, if the opportunity came along to drive at Le Mans, even if it was in a GT3 car, I'd do it. Yeah. Because it's such an amazing thing to do. You know, it's one of those things that you go, well, actually, I'd just like to do it. And then you get there and then you go, oh, I want to win it. Mm. But like, who wouldn't want to race at Le Mans as a racing driver? You know, I'm never going to do the Indy 500. I'm never going to race F1 round Monaco. So what else is left? You know, Le Mans. Come on, let's do it. Let's That's do three. It. Come on, let's get let's get it sorted. Let's get start some... a GoFundMe. Yeah, if you could just all throw, it, if you could it... just throw a fiver up the internet for us, that would be great. <laughs> I'm sure. So, maybe it was Ollie Webb that told me that I think to to get in, even just to get in a car now, it's a million quid, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Like just so, that's just. To get in a car. So what do we need to ask for on this GoFundMe page then? Is it like 10, 20 million? Should we go? Let's aim for 20. Yeah. Let's um, go from there. Because we've got to do Petit Le Mans as well and all the other stuff to yeah, qualify for Le Mans. That's so. true. Yeah. Yeah. And whatever's left over, we'll just go to Weatherspoons. 
Correct. I'll tell you what, I'll, uh, here's a little secret. I've never had a Greg's. What? <laughs> <laughs> Writing this down. This is a fact that nobody knows. This is, this Tim Tim tried to get me to eat one and I haven't. What? You've never had a Greg's? Never had a Greg's. Maybe that, that, maybe that could be the sound clip at the start. Hi, I'm from there. This, this, and this is never, what I'm going to be remembered for. And now. I've never had a Greg's. So this is the thing I kind of feel like I want to redo my opening as Clarkson's stunt double. <laughs> Who's never a had man, a Greg's. A man that once made a lady faint by driving and a man who's never had a Greg's, yeah. which I am finding hard to believe. It's quite impactful. But, um, I know, but, no, but it is 100% true. I'm like, wow. right, I know where we're going after this. <laughs> <laughs> to the pub. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Greg's. I'm, I'm just going to sort out taxis home now, right? Because none of us can drive now. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, lastly, yeah. well, you've mentioned the company. It's it's only fair that we give it a good plug. If people want to see what you do, and we do have the most amazing array of listeners, thousands and thousands of listeners all over the world, all of whom have the most amazing varied jobs, and we love hearing about where people have listened and either been inspired to do things or it has happened a couple of times where people have listened to a podcast, heard about a particular business that's featured on the podcast and then ended up spending a ludicrous amount of money with said business. So if there is somebody listening that is perhaps, you never know, a film producer, film director going, ah, I need a a team of stunt drivers to come along and drive some cars. Give the website a plug. Yeah, so it's just drivingwizards.com. We're the same on Instagram and Twitter. We're at drivingwizards.com. Uh, so it's all all one word. Uh, in terms of posting, I'm not very good at posting on uh, social media, but we do reply to messages and everything else like that. And occasionally you see stuff because the whole point of our business is a lot of the time you're not supposed to know it's, it's us. Yes, yeah, that's it's true. And we film so far in advance that by the time it's out, it's a couple of years later, yeah. and then we share the pictures, and then people you, are like, oh yeah, I remember that. You got to scroll quite a long way. Yeah, when you're so, on Instagram so but we, you know, every now and again we come out with a flurry of gems, and I can tell you with certainty, certainly in August, you're going to see a lot of content on our social media channels. So, uh, yeah. Follow now. Look forward yeah. to that. Follow Be now. early to avoid disappointment. Get early. Get following Driving Wizards and um, give the Greg's recommendation. Yeah, yeah. The, I'd like to on know, the last post, I would like to know who, what you would recommend I have as my first grade. Yeah, so that's your challenge, dear listener. If you've made it this far in now, nearly two and a half <laughs> hours of recording, not sure how how far we've made I'd it like in to the point actual out final that Miles edit. Has had a lot of Gregs. Uh, <laughs> I love a Gregs. I really love a Greg. I'm not gonna. Oh, I've got nothing. <laughs> I see, I got it, I got it. <laughs> and I walked into it. <laughs> so yes, find uh, <laughs> find Driving Wizard's latest post on Instagram right now and uh, write down which Greg's <laughs> Nicky should have. For now, I think we should leave it there. Um, yes. Miles, thank you for joining us once again. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's going to get to the point where I'll stop saying thank you because he's no, I like just it. officially I like here it. now. I so. like it. Uh, cheers thanks for turning up appreciate it Uh, Nikki an absolute pleasure thank you so much I'm sure our paths will cross uh, more and more in the future hopefully Um, and uh, yes thank you dear listener if you've enjoyed this episode don't forget you can if you're feeling especially generous leave us a lovely review and some stars the more the better if you're listening to us on Apple Podcast and you can write some kind words that is just 
brilliant and it does do wonderful things for us likewise for spotify you can react with words now uh, still haven't quite figured out how it all works but it's brilliant and it does help us out so a huge thank you to everyone that is leaving positive reviews because it means the world to us and it does genuinely help us in this strange world and algorithm that nobody really genuinely understands we just kind of keep doing what we do and hope for the best that we do that and we thank do. you dear listener thank you dear thank, listener thank you thank Bye-bye. you thank you all Special thanks to Greg. The Driven Chat Podcast, powered by Paramex Digital. Oh, wow. You've made it to the end. The very end. And it's John Markar here again, reminding you that this podcast, the Driven Chat Podcast, has now run its course and has come to an end. To find the new format, search the Driven Podcast in your preferred podcast app or head on over to the website driven.site to find some quick and easy links through to the new episodes in the new formats on your preferred apps. Thanks. Bye.